Hello and welcome to episode 261 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 7th of November 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. Good evening. And before we begin, I wanted to say uh, congratulations to friend of the pod, Rich McCormick. Indeed. And yeah. his partner, Kat, who uh, today slash yesterday, they live in Japan, so it's hard to tell. Uh, and you may remember Rich from the PC Gamer podcast. Uh, welcomed their uh, first child into the world, Finn McCormick. On Mass Effect Day, no less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, which is perfect think, for Rich. Yeah, which is perfect for Rich. And he, yeah, he's, you know, finally done the most sort of, uh, extreme act of dedication to Mass Effect, settling a, uh, a competition that, that raged fiercely, <laughs> uh, for all of the time we worked together on PC Gamer. So yeah, a little bit of, you know, personal news, but you know. Oh, no, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Good for them. And good for Finn, who exists now. <laughs> Grats. Big upgrade. Yeah, indeed. Congratulations. Actually, maybe not. <laughs> uh, good. Um, speaking of babies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, BlizzCon was last week and, uh, and well, we were not. So we're getting into some video game news a little late. Um, if you were not following the discourse, and uh you'd be forgiven for not you will have missed that at blizzcon uh blizzard announced a series of things um including things like warcraft 3 uh reforged which is a remake warcraft 3 we could talk about that um and they announced a uh, diablo immortal which is a diablo uh, mobile game um and this uh was not received particularly kindly by blizzard's most um enthusiastic fans the cinematic trailer for it has about 475,000 downvotes <laughs> what um and about 15 upvotes so <laughs> those 15 yeah, people the uh this is not the the existence of a uh profound backlash to a thing that uh game fans don't like is not necessarily in and of itself news, hmm. but I thought, thought it's it's kind of interesting to to unpick this one partly because it marks such a strange departure from what I come to expect from BlizzCon, particularly yeah. Yeah. as well. Like I've been to several, and they have all been total love-ins. Like apart from maybe like one awkward moment at every year's Warcraft convention when someone asks a question about bag size or whatever <laughs> then there's a fist fight like i don't know if that like but you know what i mean mm. like tom i know you, you follow this pretty closely like it's it's been a a real nasty kind of conversation consuming mess it's been a bad one like it, you, we see these happening every now and then but like it's been they've been angry online petitions there have been people just um gave me reddit's just totally taken up with uh, people furious about this and it seems to be like a, a, just a wider hatred for blizzard more generally that's kind of piggybacked onto this mm. this thing um which is really interesting because as you say blizzard are really good at blizzcon normally like they their opening ceremony is normally celebratory they know how to build up to a big reveal and you know when they do tend to reveal stuff they tend to reveal a lot of stuff about the thing they're making um which is perhaps a lesson they've learned from Diablo 3, where they announced it super early and then just blogged all the features they were adding and then failing to, then taking back out again, <laughs> caused a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, so they, they're normally very good at announcing stuff. And I thought it was bizarre that they sort of, they, they kept this announcement of this mobile game for probably, for one of their most hard, hardcore series 
pretty much. For people who love Diablo, from Diablo 2 onwards, it's it's a hardcore game for those people. It's about mm. like proper number crunching, kind of theory crafting, high level play, how to rinse dungeons as quickly and efficiently as possible, loop juggling, that kind of stuff. Um, so obviously, like, you could see from a million miles off that they were not going to like an announcement of a mobile game. And that's not to say anything about mobile games. Mobile games are pretty good these days. And it's perfectly possible for a good mobile Diablo game to exist. But to announce it at the climax of BlizzCon's opening ceremony to their most dedicated fans, that the people who are going to love their stuff the most, was perhaps an error. <laughs> and it's almost yeah. like the, the, that flashpoint has created this massive counter flashpoint uh, that happened over the weekend. If they'd have just like announced it halfway through the show and not made it as big a deal of it, it feels like it would have diffused things a little bit more. Yeah, or if they had like if it had been some other Diablo news and then that like just right. like a new expansion or even just like a new little DLC thing, mm. and then afterwards this mobile thing. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it was because everyone's like waiting for the Diablo news. Like, what yeah. is the Diablo news? And I think that contributed to the sense that. um that something has been taken away from mm. these people. Like, they're all like, why are you giving us this instead of this right. other thing? Yeah. Like, how could you take Diablo 4 away from us <laughs> and, and replace it with this? When, of course, that's not what's happening. They're giving you that in addition to... The, they've now said, what is it, multiple Diablo projects yeah, that so are unannounced or in, in they, the works? So about, like, four or five months ago, they said we've got multiple... They just did a community update, said we've got multiple unannounced Diablo projects in the works. Um, and, like, in 2017, late 2017, some um, hiring... Um, positions on the Blizzard site were looking for dungeon designers for a Diablo project. Pretty obvious they're working on something fairly traditionally Diablo, you know. And uh, also, it seems like a lot of this development is being um, pushed out to NetEase, which is the company that's actually publishing. And, you know, basically it's NetEase's engine and they want access to, obviously want access to Asian markets with a kind of Mm. Diablo mobile game. And I don't know, like, from our perspective, that's an obvious business thing for a big business to do. But if you're really into the idea of the Blizzard family and that type of fandom, and you've made a trip to somewhere to be part of that, sometimes these, the kind of, this kind of cold corporate stuff can, yeah, trigger that kind of anger. It's funny because, like, I get, like, I do think it was a spectacular failure to read the room Mm. to some extent, except that, you know, Blizzard are big enough that BlizzCon is not simply a show for the people in the room. Mm. It's a show for people watching as well. And the, the notion that, um, mobile games are like a, you know, a, not a legitimate concern or that they don't meet like, or the fact, or the, or even the notion that they are purely cynical in their mm. execution isn't, oh, well, I, I would say that's a not so like not true anyway but also it's certainly not an internationally held attitude and so and blitzcon is for years now has been used to announce things to the world as a whole and of obviously blizzard have one eye on asian markets of course they do they'd be absolutely insane not to and you know they you know they they partnered i think with tencent on the warcraft movie there's been there's been a lot of stuff created with that audience in mind for a long a long time and you know this was an announcement that will probably mean something to millions and millions of of gamers that you're not hearing from Mm. necessarily that aren't on youtube for firewall reasons you know what i mean there's the there are like i do feel like there's a there's a people forget the audiences that they don't hear from in an angry way and at the same time like I, you know, from a PR and marketing point of view, I completely accept that Blizzard beefed it. But at the same time, I do wish we didn't live in a world where 
like you almost have to treat the audience as like a, a sort of volatile mix waiting to explode rather than just as human beings. You know what or I mean? Like a like, tantrum prone child. Yes, exactly. Like, oh, give them a sweet before you give them the, the mm. vegetables. Like the, I mean, the video went round of the, the guy standing up and asking the developers to their face if the game was a joke. Mm. And that to me strikes me as like, obviously it's a breach of decorum, but it also is a sign that like the, the window of what is acceptable is, is shifting. And we've seen this in so many other yeah. contexts where behavior that gets normalized online does transition into behavior in in the real world you know people do because it is okay to flame and belittle people in every online medium you can think about it becomes more and more acceptable to do it in real life and you know those blizzard q a sessions i remember from only a couple of years ago is like i'd make a joke about fights at warcraft things but that's not true like they were they were like people were happy to get to meet game developers and sort of you know Maybe they'd have heated debates about the hobby they're passionate about, but like an ad hominem attack at someone in public to their face is just like, it, it, it's, it's striking to me as a kind of, in, a part of a broader trend of like, I don't know where you have to start changing that culture, but I think you probably have to start changing it somewhere because it's absurd mm. that that is deemed acceptable or even like noble by like parts of like yeah. the commentary like not not i don't think professional commentary but like you know people saying like good for that guy standing up to the man the man in this case being a hard-working game designer <laughs> like trying to make something nice. tries to optionally sell you a product yeah 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 <laughs> in addition to the other project yeah. also like, forthcoming they yeah. will not stop adding diablo to places where tom senior can buy it right? <laughs> I would they, always buy it. they are they are doing the opposite of taking away your copy of diablo <laughs> and the stupid thing is even if the announcement of Diablo Immortal went back in time and made every single copy of Diablo 3 explode, those same angry people would be happy about that because Diablo 3 itself was an abomination at one point in time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I did like a quick column for PC Gamer this week suggesting that actually the worst thing that could happen to Diablo is that it becomes less relevant than Blizzard's other franchises and it simply stops being a business concern. And the yeah. idea that there is like gen- generic business activity happening around Diablo means that it's part of Blizzard's kind of mindset and it's one of their series. So uh, that they're going to carry on forward. So it kind of it supports the idea of a new core game at some point. It's just that it's going to be a wait. So looking at it realistically, there's going to be more Diablo surely. I also wonder about like, it's a strange one because Diablo, I think, is a series that has benefited really visibly from like quite substantial reinvention. Mm. Like, because, and, you know, maybe to get into the design side of it, like, it's interesting to consider, like, how, how do you make a new Diablo? Like, oh, like, they, you know, Diablo 3, I think, has gotten to a really good place and it's been very successfully ported, like, by all accounts, the Switch version's great. The PlayStation version is great. It's a great PC game. It's a kind of actually a, a rare example of an isometric sort of like traditional quote unquote PC game that has so successfully been adapted mm. to different formats. And that's an interesting success if you're into that kind of thing. Um, but in, in and of itself, it was about like rejecting loads of the things that Diablo 2 invented that had then been picked up and run with by other games like Torchlight. Mm. And because, because like, you know, if you like games where you put a 2% boost to, you know, hitting things with a hatchet, then that's been mastered, you know? Yeah. And then Diablo 2 is this big kind of toy box of ways to make goblins explode. Mm. And uh, that's kind of been done. And also, and, and it, like, Blizzard aren't going to, necessarily do it for the sake of it because they could they could do a new overwatch hero they could do yeah they could do you know stuff that's going to be you know definitely pay them back but i think if they're going to do it they would want to 
put a new spin on Diablo, which what Diablo 3 tried to do with, with varying degrees of success. Mm. Um, so, and, and what you see happen is, um, Diablo 2 gets subsumed by games like Path of Exile. Yeah. Path of Exile is brilliant. If you, if you love theory crafting, kind of like developing your characters, it's, it's an amazing free to play game. It's really, really generous and it's really detailed. And it's like Diablo 2 players should, should go and play that. You know, why should Blizzard make Diablo 2 again? Why should Blizzard make Diablo 3 again? So what does Diablo 4 look like? Does it look like a shared world game, a bit like Destiny, but isometric, mm. where it's a lot more online connectivity? Like there's got to be a thing that makes it, you know, worth de- you know, developing. Yeah. Because, you know, business is business, but they do like to develop good games <laughs> that are interesting and um, and different from one another. So it'd be, yeah. it'd be fascinating to see them do it. I wonder if maybe there's like an element of this to try and like, cause I, I do think the reaction is totally absurd and I, I'm just getting tired of saying like, how do you make people think about the, uh, the humanity of the people they're shouting at and the absurdity of the thing they're angry about? Mm. Um, at the same time, the answer is you can't, but like the, the thing that gets me is like, I do wonder if like, cause Blizzard once upon a time were also kind of the master, they are the masters of hype in some ways and they are the masters of these like the splashy cg reveal trailers and things like that and i remember from being a kid excited about world of warcraft for example those cg trailers were vastly disproportionate in production value to equivalents for other games at the time they've always been very good Mm, at that kind of thing like you know like i have become a bit more frustrated with them because i i I think do you know what happened the same night that blizzard announced warcraft 3 reign of chaos reforged at a, at a, a simultaneously at a Warhammer event in, in England, Games Workshop showed a new trailer for uh, Rain, uh, for Realm of Chaos, which is uh, a basically a Warhammer core book from the 80s, whose design, typography, imagery was so brutally ripped off by Warcraft. Like, because Blizzard stuff is so howlingly derivative that the, the, those two things reappearing on the same night felt <laughs> like this kind of like, mm. you know, sort of almost like cosmic kind of alignment of like, mm. you know, anyway. But like, that notwithstanding the reason they've gotten away with it is because they they present that stuff with a degree of polish and to a degree of fidelity that makes you very excited mm-hmm. and traditionally they have done that in service of like every now and then doing a kind of genre defining big game and they obviously believe they've obviously believed maybe in a separation between those things you can do big games and you can do small games and you can deploy your extremely flashy animation team on any scale of project mm-hmm. and that maybe speaks to like somewhat ignorance about what treating a game with that that treatment um expresses to to an audience whose expectations were maybe set 10 15 years ago because mm. that diablo opening trailer made it did make it look like a, the big thing right did, like yeah. they do tend to reserve those big animation guns for mm. the uh, the big games and from a business point of view it makes sense because i would say again to a, a substantial audience that probably hasn't played diablo before or maybe hasn't played it um, on the format that the most frequently played games on, it is a big deal. Mm. But that there maybe is a, a case to be made for like maybe stopping doing trailers that have nothing to do with the games entirely <laughs> to avoid this problem in, in the whole. But like also scaling things appropriately. I don't know. I remember the the BlizzCon that they announced Diablo three. Um, they did a lead in on their official site that um was a kind of uh enigmatic um concept art image thing that was almost nothing at first just some like i think some pillars or something and it was all kind of frosty and then very slowly day by day like something emerged from the darkness and it was this frosty icy thing and i think wrath of the lich king was the latest wow expansion at that time and so there was a hot debate about um 
some some of us were expecting Diablo three and and um a lot of people were thinking, well this looks a hell of a lot like the Lich King. Mm. It's gonna be a Warcraft thing. Um and it was Diablo three. Uh, but that seemed like an almost intentional misdirect. Like they made it look so much like their other thing. And then like at the last minute, like, I don't know, the ice melts or whatever. And it's Diablo who is coming out of the ice. But, um, yeah, they have a history of, of leading into things, <laughs> making expectations go the wrong way. There's, a, there's also like behind the, the expectations those trailers create, there is, um, Blizzard particularly are very good at trying to create almost a cult like emotional, interreliance between the company and the people who yeah who love their products uh, i remember like when i was first started doing this job i went down to london to do to visit one of their wow launch parties and it was it was amazing it was like super positive and, and kind of lovely because it was parents and their kids and, and everything but it was like those people go to see a band they love like it's a, it's a similar type of vibe um mm. and going to blizzcon is like that as well um and then you, you go everyone goes to see this, this band they love and the things they make and uh, that level of investment when it goes bad <laughs> kind of goes hard the other way perhaps and, and yeah. that's why they get a lot of flack sometimes from what outside of that sort of quote-unquote family network that blizzard has established for corporate reasons um maybe that's what causes the extre- extreme backlash. yeah i think maybe like that's the thing is i don't know what the answer there necessarily is because yeah Blizz- I, I i have had that experience with blizzcon as this kind of remarkably positive i've had that sort of experience that everyone has of walking away from blizzcon going like i guess i play all these games every day now <laughs> like because that is what you do it's like fanfest as well like yeah. it's a similar thing yeah yes um although fanfest i think i had a much stronger experience of being outside that community <laughs> yeah I think blizzard it feels very easy to get into blizzard the stuff chief. but maybe yeah. that's i'm more of a former wow player than i am a former eve player so maybe that's that's it but mm. fanfest is like a lot of conversations happening that I cannot pass at all. <laughs> um, whereas yeah. BlizzCon is traditionally a big party. But I don't know. It just feels like a busted situation. Because what you want to say is like, well, these companies are not your friend and they're not your family. You're, the, you're, the players you play games with can be your friends and maybe, you know, and maybe your family. But, you know, you that is a, a social bond that you take from game to game and you shouldn't be, you know, take like, like you're saying, take your Diablo 2 friends and go play Path of Exile together. Mm you know corporate loyalty and things is not like it's not really something to be desired i don't think mm. and it's fun to be part of like but that. it is fun to be part of yeah, yeah. kool-aid's delicious <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i don't know like and i you know i think it's so complicated i think although it's like it's clear that a these are crowd dynamics that can be predicted mm, to some extent sure, yeah. although the, maybe the violence of the reaction can't be um, but also that companies have a, like, companies have a responsibility to their fans to some extent, but I would argue that also fans have a responsibility to each other. I'd also argue that companies are not monolithic single entities, but in fact to themselves collections of people who can be caught up in a company culture, for example, which, you know, Blizzard certainly has a very strong internal company culture. Mm. Um, I don't know. It just feels like, it, it feels like sort of, uh, points of, sort of vulnerability and problems waiting to happen like all the way down and i don't know what that makes the answer is like at all okay it's, it goes some way to explaining why the reaction is so severe though when you take all those factors into account as a holistically yeah it's, it's the the nature of that entire relationship is slightly twisted and when it breaks bad it breaks real bad <laughs> yeah maybe it's simply because the power of dynamics involved are so one-sided you yeah know what i mean so like you can't make this thing you look come back if Diablo yes. goes away you, you have no power in that that situation and, and and if you invested so much time and love into it that's gonna hurt and then that hurt is gonna be expressed as anger online yeah 
But that's yeah. not what happened here. They announced a mobile game and they're still making other Diablo games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. Ah, oh, what a mess. Like, uh, <laughs> we should talk about, uh, the fun things we have done in video games in the, in the weeks we've been absent. But obviously we, we heard from you, Tom, from, from Fantastic Arcade. Yep. Um, what should we talk about? Should we talk about the Blackout Club? Because we played that together. Yeah. We talked about that cool. first. I'd like to hear about that. Played that last night. Yeah. So, um, this is the new game from, uh, Jordan Thomas' new studio, Question. Um, and it is, uh, it is in now in early access and very much feels like legit. They want to test the game early access. The yeah. UI is not finished. The game is not finished. The, it's missing loads of stuff. Like, I think if, if, uh, if Alex and, and, and Martian, you hadn't been keen to play it, I don't think I would have bought it yet. Cause I tend to be, yeah, I tend to like yeah. to wait, wait. But, uh, what it is, is a sort of co-op stealth horror adventure <coughs> game. Um, is that, do you think that's a fair description? Yeah. Four player co-op horror stealth. Yeah. <laughs> All the good things. Um, w- which is set in a sort of like, it feels very, it feels very stranger thingsy. I think it's the obvious thing to go to, but yeah. I think more broadly it feels very Stephen Kingy. So like, um, basically the premise is that you are teenagers and it, that's kind of fun in itself. I like being kids in a game. I think that sort hmm. of has a nice, uh, that frames everything nicely. You are kids. Um, whose, uh, neighborhood, uh, all the adults in your neighborhood have been sort of taken over by like, uh, like a shadowy force that's, that goes sort of largely unexplained. It's sort of like somewhere between evil corporation and sort of cosmic horror. Yeah. And it seems like everything is normal during the day and it's only at night that they all kind of get taken yeah. over. There's like a single play tutorial that I, I found quite effective. We talk about it. Yeah. This is kind of the surprising thing is you, you fire it up. Like we all, uh, I think, I think we all kind of had only just bought it right now. I yeah. Played it before. And, uh, we had arranged to play at a certain time and then we realized, shit, we've got to play like a, uh, there's a, a sort of tutorial mission. And then you realize, no, this isn't just a tutorial. This is like an intro mission. And it's like, there's a whole just single player like episode in here. Yeah. <laughs> it it's like a like, 40 minute thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause it was one of those like, we'll play at eight and we all played at nine. <laughs> like, um, and basically the, the, and that's, that is voice acted and very story driven and yeah, very much like a scripted single player experience yeah that's designed to get you teach you something about the world i don't want to spoil things about that really but like yeah. i can tell you some principal things but like but also to um teach you a lot of mechanics because it's a very mechanics heavy game it's got a lot of sort of interrelated systems and things so um you are like so the idea is that sort of uh you've like you, the kids have been having blackouts kind of like f- waking up in strange places and kind of um and and there's a few reasons why this might be and so you, when you, you team up with your friends to go out at night and investigate the neighborhood and take on like a, a, a series of objectives that are sort of randomly assigned. And the, the neighborhood is a sort of set map. There's only one map in the beta, in the, in the early access version, yeah. I think. Um, but things about it change every time you play, including like the layout and location of enemies, whether certain doors and windows are open, that kind of thing. And the objectives are different every time, mm. but the, the layout is the same. And, uh, the enemies are the adults, basically, who range from basically these kind of like blind sleepers that can hear well but can't see you to what are called lucids who like walk around with a torch. They're right. like UAV drones. And they're, the lucids are wearing headphones to show that they can't hear you. Yeah. Like, so there's one enemy that can only hear and there's one enemy that can only see. Yeah. And um, 
and so those enemies um there's there's no way to to kill like you don't take you can get like tranquilizer rounds and things um but an enemy will always kind of like uh, you can't kill anybody. Uh, the first thing I tried to do was throw someone off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Tased him, then then knocked him out, and then carried him all the way to the cliff. Uh, I followed you because I wanted to see it happen. And then you just sort of like heaved him to your feet directly on the edge and then picked him off again and then heaved him to your feet again. <laughs> Which makes sense because the theme of the game is that you are kids taking on adults. Yeah, there's not... actually, I noticed later, there's something on the briefing screen that says, do not kill, like a big exclam thing. Yeah, like... And the sort of the notion that you're, these, these adults are your parents, like, and they're being taken over, like, mm, at okay. night, so you don't want to kill them, like, mm. but there's lots of, like, nice, so, like, and if you get grabbed by an adult, it's very kind of like, it's, it's, it's buggy at the moment, but it's very kind of tactile, like, if, if a player character gets dra- grabbed, they start getting dragged away, and it's a much more yeah. analog thing than, like, Left 4 Dead, for example. That system is crazy involved, like, when that <laughs> happened to, to me, it, they, they make it part of the, the tutorial, so you get to see it, and, uh, I thought because the tutorial is very scripted, I thought, oh, they've they've just set this up to work in this one particular situation. But then, no, it happens in the, in the multiplayer game as well. And it's yeah, you um, there are loads of different recovery systems, which is good. So when someone gets you, if you have any item like a taser or a trank dart or something, you can just left mouse will just use it and get you out of it. Um, but if you don't, then they knock you out and they they start dragging you to the nearest red door, I assume. Yeah, which is um, which thing. could be anywhere, and you yeah. could be anywhere when this happens. So it's all very dynamic, and you are just you're your point of view is just affixed to the ragdoll that they are dragging and you get to see like your legs and stuff. Um, and the mechanic for how you get out of this is uh, obviously this has only happened because you don't have any escape items. So you don't have anything that you can use, but there are piles of garbage all over the level. Um, and only when you're being dragged, can you do, you, do you activate garbage vision, <laughs> which lets you all the garbage glows and you can find useful things in it. Like any pile of garbage, if you uh, get right. close enough to it while you're being dragged past it. You can just grab in there and you'll get some random thing. It could be like a, um, a Wait, trank yes. dart. <laughs> um, a, uh, a taser like or item, just, yeah. yes, something that you can just use this once to get out of this situation. Oh, cool. Um, but if you find the trash piles like in normal, when you're conscious, you can't do anything with yeah. them because you're not desperate enough to look in the trash yet. <laughs> the other thing is that like your friends can, can free you. So like, mm. um, if you sneak up behind, if you are behind an adult, um, either stealthily or not, you can jump on their back and drag them to the ground and once they're on the ground you can sit on them to pin them which just stops them getting up but obviously that limits your behavior but this i really like that as a kind of like it does create natural moments where like someone gets jumped and grabbed by an adult which can be quite scary and then like you come jumping out of the bushes and jump on their back like the adults back to try and get them away and it does feel like kids taking on Mm. like that's what that's what stephen king thing of like Mm you know, these sort of desperate escapes and things is actually Although, quite effective. Yeah, cool. I think most of the times, uh, missions we did, like at least half of us had taken the takedown perk, which meant that you could actually sort of knock them out for a significant yeah. amount of time. Yeah. So God, we're getting the perk system as well. Basically. So that's like the basic kind of verb set. Every time, uh, you can not mention the shape either. <laughs> yeah. I was going to talk about the shape. So basically, so, um, you can, um, and so you have like a phone, your phone does everything. Like that's the idea, like, you know, your teens. So you can use it as a torch. You can also use it to record evidence. Sometimes your objective will be to go in the world and find and record evidence of what's happening on your phone. Um, and it's nice. Your, your objectives are always kind of nonviolent in that way. It's like freeing people, stealing things, recording things, cool. and then getting out again. Um, every time you're seen doing something, um, you commit what's called a sin. Um, and if you commit too much sin, then this sort of, uh, the monster enters the level, which is this force called the shape and the shape is invisible and uh, it looks like a human, a big human. 
Um, but you can only see it if you close your eyes. So anytime in the game you can press, you can hold Z to close your eyes, which basically is like closing your eyes. They've, I think they maybe made it slightly too bright, but basically you just look at the world through the, the red, your, your eyelids, basically mm. like, so the red kind of pattern of the inside of your eyelids. Uh, but when you're in that mode, you can see things that you can't see normally. Like sometimes you can see footsteps or hidden messages and that kind of thing, but only if you've got your eyes closed. Um, but you can see the shape, which is becomes this glowing figure that kind of walks after you. If the shape catches you, um, it like, I, I think it's called like induces you into the song, um, which is sort of implied to be the state that the adults are in as well. And then this is basically like you're out of action, but what's cool about it is rather than like left for dead style, you go to the monster cupboard or something until your friends rescue you, you become an NPC and you just walk around the level, like doing stuff like, you know, sometimes you might sit down. Sometimes you might decide like my character did at one point to just start running around in front of a security camera, like, you know, whatever. And your friends can come and rescue you by, um, sort of like, um, shaking some sense into you basically but that in itself becomes like a kind of stealth challenge because i've seen players like flee from like as in seen like NPCified players mm-hmm. flee from their own friends so it becomes like so then that's a really nice mechanic because it's like dovetails with everything else you have to sneak up on yeah your captured friends and i think i had to chase you down one time like you just walked through a camera and i couldn't get you when you were there and then when i you were just walking quite calmly, but as I got closer to you, um, yeah. suddenly you just ran and I had to like <laughs> chase after you and then grab your head and, and wake you up. Yeah. And that's really, so, and then that's how you lose is if the entire team gets grabbed by the shape. Yeah. Mm. Seemingly no one can really die. Like, no, no matter how badly one team makes I think if you, it. there's a message I have, it hasn't happened to me, but you do see it. Like <laughs> when you, after, if, after, you, after you've been grabbed twice by the shape and freed twice, you get a message that says that like, it, it you know, is no longer interested in making you part of the song, which seems to imply that mm. it will kill you. Yeah. So like, I got that message and I assumed it meant I was immune to the shape. <laughs> no, I <laughs> think, I, I think, it. well, I think Left 4 Dead has like, often has like a three strikes and you're out thing with dying mm. because that is functionally dying, but it's, yeah. Um, but yeah. And then there's loads of other systems on top of that. Like, you know, you have the perk system, so you can like equip cards that like you'd have special abilities, like, a quad rotor drone that you can fly around to the cool. scout. I felt it was weird because it feels the concept feels like such a an indie game and such a kind of like you know hit, uh, a cool concept um, that is then all the aesthetic and stuff is very true to that concept um, and it feels all very uh, coherent until you complete a mission and then the kind of the end of mission screen is like every upgrade and perk and customization system like all at once suddenly saying like yeah you could have got this evidence and here's how you were leveled up and you got a treasure chest of cool kid stuff <laughs> and then there's all these like um there's clothing customization and um it very much feels like they sort of fired out rainbow six siege and looked at what happens when you finish a mission in that and yeah like, okay let's have a version of all of those things and, and that's all with like a very early access sort of very basic interface so it looks pretty ropey mm. um yeah there's uh there's the uh board of extremely confusing board where like where you choose your main weapon like everyone just picks one item and there's like a, a grappling hook and a crossbow and a taser this isn't too clever this isn't the ready room basically yeah. just like this mm. train car and so those things you can pick up just above that is every other like disposable usable consumable item that you can get 
but those ones you can't take. And there is a sign right above it that says these can't take these because they're broken. But they included, for example, a chocolate bar. <laughs> We're amusing. Like, how is that broken? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the notion is those are there to teach you what the items are. So you can look at them yeah. to find out uh, this is what a chocolate bar does. I think those should be pamphlets or something because yeah. like literally all of us at one point or another try to use those things. Yeah. Like, Why doesn't this work? And but then- also like in this game, a chocolate bar is something you can eat while sprinting to ensure that you can keep sprinting. <laughs> that is not how a chocolate bar works. That is in some ways a broken chocolate bar if that's what it does. It's full of cocaine. <laughs> that's what's broken about the one on the board. It's got no cocaine in it. <laughs> um, 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 but yeah, like, what did you make of it? Because I, I came away quite, I, I enjoyed myself actually, like particularly by the time we played a couple of missions. It was weird for me because I, the sort of stealth um immersive sim it has like a lot of immersive sim dna like the clambering is really good and uh every tap can be turned on everything can be interacted with in that way um and doing that in a multiplayer setting was was strange for me because um a like one weird thing about co-op stealth is it's kind of a weakest link situation like the least yeah. stealthy of you is how stealthy you're all being <laughs> yeah you are as and you so, are as quiet as your loudest member yeah exactly <laughs> uh, and so we were often in a situation i just felt like it went to shit a lot partly because we we're learning the game and obviously we would get better at that but it the way that kind of the effect that had for me was i was just a lot less invested than i would be in a single player game i was just like you know uh, we'll get seen a bunch and like you know who knows no matter how stealthy i am someone else might fuck it up uh although often it was me who fucked it up <laughs> um and then when they did fuck it up we you know we're just gonna sprint away and so i wasn't scared and i wasn't it didn't feel that high stakes to me um uh and also uh, there's i think just this kind of game i prefer or like a stealth game about clambering into places and using grappling hooks and avoiding scary enemies is something i would normally want to take at my own pace which is extremely slow and methodical and just like you know i probably could get through there i'm just going to wait for another 12 minutes because i think there's a better way i can do it or i want this to try this crazy plan and when there's three other people all trying to do the mission at the same time i didn't feel like it was the right context to do that kind of stuff and so i found myself like experimenting less and taking my time less and just kind of bumbling through a lot more yeah i I know what you mean like because i don't really like co-op games which is which is the (laughs) why did we play (laughs) well so and and the reason for that is because like um well i do but there's an issue with like um people move at different speeds and it it takes like you know like it feels like it requires a sort of um simpatico between players to really shine like with four people we, we played it so we played like twice with four which was chaotic. We were all learning the game, didn't really understand the systems. And also, and that's fine. Like, I don't mind having a bit of a kind of period of messiness. Because I think sometimes the sign of a game that has interesting systems is that, like, we didn't understand what was summoning the shape. We didn't know why the shape was behaving the way it was. And there was consistency there. Hmm. Like, you know, there were things that felt like they could be bugs, like suddenly, like, objectives resetting back to objectives we felt like we'd already done. But there was consistent reasoning for it. Like, oh, when you got grabbed, you dropped the thing we needed to collect at the start of the mission. Where is it? Oh, it's where you dropped it, right? Like, the, mm. the systems were working. It was all making sense. But it was, like, that period of awkward figuring out. And that is made more awkward when four people are figuring out at different speeds. And yeah. not necessarily communicating clearly with each other because that's, you know, that requires, like, really good ability to mutually yeah. express and there were some ideas. times when like the thing that, that was needed to be communicated was very difficult to communicate like you guys had all gone underground and i couldn't find where you'd gone underground and you're telling me that's it's a hatch in that in that house and I'm like well i can't yeah. find that and i don't know how you can describe it to me in a way that i can find it exactly and then and also like you know sort of um because you share 
you know, you have one set of objectives to complete among all of you. And often the objective sort of notifications proceed in linear order. You're all sort of mob handed trying to do one thing and then trying to do the next thing. Yeah. And that means that like, I think there's something where like the more of you are in one place, the more likely that one of you is going to fuck it up. <laughs> right. And so that, so that was the first thing. And it was fun, but it was like, this is a little bit ropey. And then I think because the game was accidentally open to the public when Marsh had to go, he got replaced by a person we couldn't hear, um, who was very determined to just go and do the entire mission by himself. We were also, we were all talking on Discord voice chat and yeah. we'd, we'd intentionally disabled the game voice chat because it was doubling up on that. And so, uh, from his perspective, we were all completely silent. Yeah. And from our perspective, I, I could like almost hear him. I think he was speaking in French. <laughs> and so there's no actual communication. And then there was a moment where it almost actually worked because, um, like that he went off to just do the objective but it turned out there were multiple objectives and i'd found like this other thing i found this body and i thought this will be important and then literally the moment they completed one of the other objectives the objective became find and photograph this body so i was already in position <laughs> like i'd kind of known that was likely and so i took the photo and immediately we progressed to the get out step and that actually felt really cool in a way even though it was a complete accident it was like actually splitting up to solve different problems felt really good. Then after that, we made a private game and played with three people, and I preferred the pace with three. Yeah, um, I actually almost wonder what, what it'd be like with two because I think the the fewer you get, the the less it's less of a a uh, clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I had like there was one moment where for me like the mechanics kind of came together. Um, well, there were a few moments, but one of them was like it was the time when we went down into the. Well, one thing is when you know the map you know a bit more about what yeah. things are likely to be. So like you can sort of like, well, there'll be a, there's like a kind of underground area. And so like you can get down through this way and that's maybe the right way to go now. So that expertise helps. But like we went down to this underground area and there was a camera that, that is really in a really annoying place. And at the, basically at the base of the ladder, we had to climb down. So instead of that, because I had chosen the grappling hook as my signature item, I jumped onto a rafter, went across the rafter and embedded the grappling hook into the wall so that the rope would dangle down directly over the exit tunnel to that room so we could find our own, we'd made our own way down that meant we could bypass the ladder near the security camera. And then, but like, and that felt like a kind of cool, like, look, we're solving problems using the mechanics. And like, that's actually kind of fun. But there was also an element of saying like, don't go down the ladder, don't go down the ladder. I've got an idea. What's the idea? It's this, but I don't, it's much easier to do than explain. So stop playing for a moment. I want to do a thing. And like, that's, that's the tension for me with co-op. Like, and, but we got there in the end in a way that made me want to play more of it, but it is, yeah, that's a sort of weird tension, but I feel like it'll get better the more you understand, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to see how it shapes up. It was fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there a kind of like plot to it, given that you're gathering yeah, evidence yeah. and stuff? So that's interesting. Yeah. It, it almost, it's kind of weird, um, how much of a story driven single player thing it is in the tutorial. Mm. And then, you know, the eventual thing, uh, I believe, I, I guess I don't know how the actual final game will progress, but it's sort of, designed or presented right now like a multiplayer thing where you sort of jump into a lobby and you join a game and you mm. pick a map and you do this thing as the way you would in like Counter-Strike or something. Um, so I don't know if the final game is going to have like a linear story progression where there's like chapter one and chapter two and that yeah. kind of the, thing. The structure of the... it So it has the exact... Like the exact structure as Vermintide. Right. That would be the co the comparison. Because Left 4 Dead doesn't have the hub mm. where you go back to to upgrade your character and pick m missions from a map. 
Have you played Vermintide, Tom? No. Right. It's exactly the same as Vermintide. Um, but so that, that gives me the impression that there will be like an arc to the missions. Although the difference is that when you, you pick which level you want to go to, but then what you're told to do when you get there appears to be random, hmm. which is, yeah. yeah. But I imagine it would have a succession of environments that yeah. express like the story. Cause there is a story, like there is obviously something going on. And that single player thing I thought was pretty cool and surprising. Mm. Like it made me think of, um, a few things. Like it reminded me a little bit of like kind of what hello neighbor wants to be. <laughs> and hello neighbor is terrible. Like, um, you know, there was an element of, um, like a few sort of concepts that have felt a little bit undercooked in the games they've actually shown up in that are all sort of there and seem to be sort of being done reasonably well, which mm. is yeah nice. The close your eyes thing is a really neat concept. The idea of monster you can only see with your eyes shut. And then, of course, by doing that, you're preventing yourself from seeing any other horrible things. <laughs> yeah. And that, again, is like, I do wonder if like, because it, it'll be weird to see how it feels with like a really coordinated group of players. Mm. because like it makes sense to have someone with their eyes closed being guided around by other people like or someone who's on shape watch basically <laughs> like, not really sure what stops you from just kind of sprinting everywhere <laughs> like you, you sort of feel like you shouldn't do that um and so we didn't most of the time but like in order for you to be able to get away from enemies who have seen you sprint needs to be faster than them and if it's faster than can't you just run i think them? sprint is the same speed as enemies right so because i i i had to like help out Alex because he was being chased by someone and like not losing them at all. And then I jumped on their back and knocked them out. I suppose, do you remember if there were like any bonuses on the end screen for like how many times you got seen or anything like that? Not that I remember, although we did make it really hard for ourselves. We did fail once. We did make it really hard for ourselves by being so loud that the shape arrived really early. Mm. I feel like that's the thing. Like if you sprint, like the objectives force you to crisscross the map. Like you can't like sprint to the objective and then sprint to the end. And like once enemies are kind of activated, they seem to stay active. Like you hear like these radio transmissions and like. Yeah, I did not follow those at all. <laughs> they seem to be like about totally unrelated stuff. It's, it's related to what you're doing because it is about like they're definitely here, you know, as in the kids are here. I think it's because there's four players. So it's like it's related to something somebody did, but I have no idea yeah. what that is. But it means like the entire level becomes more dangerous. So if you sprinted to the first objective, like we had like I quite like being able to sprint to the end. Like we've done it. Let's just book it. Mm. is a kind of nice system that feels appropriate. Mm. But like when we were first started playing and like, for example, I was trying to murder people really early on by throwing them off cliffs that we made it really hard for ourselves because we were lost. And also the monster showed up really quickly. So I suspect that acts as a check on sprinting everywhere because like the shape done, like, you know, enemies only need to touch you and they do get everywhere. So yeah, I don't know though. I was just reminded of the time that I, brought out the chocolate bar and a little message popped up saying Pentadact has committed a sin. <laughs> really? I haven't even eaten it yet. <laughs> and even then it's debatable. <laughs> yeah. It's good though. I think it's like, um, I'd like to play more of it, but only with friends. I don't, I really can't see myself yeah. playing it as a solo player online or anything. Yeah. Cool. So that is the blackout club, which is in early access. Now I think it's about 14 quid. Mm. sort of 15 20 range um definitely very early um but i had fun i think it's very interesting i think the the immersive sim cred shows as you say yeah what have you been playing tom s been playing forza horizon 4 i always think you're gonna say horizon zero dawn at the end of that. <laughs> forza, <laughs> i want to see that mashup <laughs> horizon zero forza <laughs> 
um, which is like Horizon Zero Dawn, an open world game mm. uh, full of mechanical beasts. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Then, <laughs> Can't argue with it. Uh, Forza Horizon Four is uh, is an open world racing game, uh, and it's fucking brilliant. It's so good, <laughs> uh, it's, and I don't know anything about cars. Don't know anything about racing really, but I, I I still love it. I still really enjoy it because it's an absolute. It's just such a nice pick up and play, friendly. Join a race, do a couple of bits, and then stop playing it. Kind of game. It's really, uh, it's really pretty. It's set in a kind of <laughs> bastardized United Kingdom, which uh, consists of Edinburgh, a bit of the Lake District, perhaps, <laughs> and maybe some other bits. Of, I don't know the, the Dales or something. I don't know. Like it's 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 just a big open world amalgamation of nice rural bits of Britain and Edinburgh. <laughs> Specifically Edinburgh? Yeah, it's very recognisably Edinburgh. Um, huh. I, I got like massive flashbacks <laughs> when I was driving around. It was like, wow, there's, there's the castle. And it's, it's an unusual sort of... Edinburgh has an unusual topography. So that yeah. it just is instantly recognisable. Um, but we are actually doing it. It's obviously racing. There's um, off-road races where you just sort of like go through people's gardens and the back of pubs and things like that. <laughs> uh, and there are, you know, illicit street races where you have like you know how you hear like british accents in games and films yeah and even as british people they sound too british yeah <laughs> you know, i know exactly what you mean yeah it's kind of put on i don't I know watched, how to describe I, it. yeah i know what you mean I, I watched a video on youtube the other day on twitter the other day that was a serious thing and like a serious thing it was being spoken by a the, the speaker was like a british army major and he sounded too <laughs> british to be british and not in a kind of like hello posh britishness but yeah. in a, a like that sort of like, you know, very specific kind of geezer voice that like, yeah, I don't know what it is about it, but maybe it's because we're so used to hearing Americans in pop culture that when we hear our own accent. I, do, I think there's a difference between like conversational British speech and the type of delivery that you hear in these games. Because it's basically the, the plot of the games, which is as it is. Is that there's, um, the kind of Horizon Festival that moves around the world. In the last Falls of Horizon, it was in a kind of made up Australia. <laughs> and now it's in a made up Britain. Um, and, uh, you know, this part of the festival is just a big old racing festival and there is no law. <laughs> there's, there's, there are no speed limits or, 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 you know, pedestrians or anything. It's, it's just a, a total, it's a playground for cars. Uh, the humans are all dead, perhaps. <laughs> it's just cars out there now. They're the movie Cars. It's the purge, but for cars. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's, you go to like, sort of quest givers who give you races and then you do absurd races across the countryside or in cities there are kind of stunt races uh, there's one you do where they just put you in like an ancient car and you have to go somewhere really fast and then they give you a house and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh fuck? great this is my new sort of base now yeah this is finally <laughs> a meaningful anti-austerity measure is <laughs> 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 it was a kind of a galling moment actually to be honest <laughs> Because like, the fact that I got uh, that house so easily in a kind of weird version of Britain actually kind of irritated me very deeply, knowing how difficult. It's not how this country works. It's difficult it is to get a house in this country. Um, but yeah, so I've just got the, the guy's just like, oh, you're pretty good in that film stunt set that, that you did. And, um, well, the film company bought this house and <laughs> it's yours now. Well, one thing led to another and here you are. Fucking massive country mansion as well. <laughs> there's kind of, uh, there's a kind of, uh, glamour to it because it's Forza. So they've got like uh, all the, the 
of car licenses all the cars are sort of real and the all, all the interiors are modeled and i don't really care about that normally but there's something really kind of nice about how much care has gone into making the vehicles feel different and look different and some of them are just shit as well like <laughs> properly proper bangers like <laughs> and, and this the feeling of racing around the streets in the, these like quite crap british cars is actually very endearing i really enjoy it as yeah. well uh when you say about the the voices being sort of too british to be, to be believed what more specifically do you mean like uh, so the, all the you're kind of getting messages over the radio like inviting you to different events and things like that right and it's like uh, uh, welcome to the I, I don't know how to do it because like it's such an unnatural way of doing it <laughs> yeah it's like well now you've earned enough reputation to unlock a new car why don't you come and visit me down near your mansion yeah. and it, like, it's, it's a very strange kind of put on the thing but i do prefer it to like in other kind of racing games it tends to be someone yelling at you about how oh man you got a hundred million experience <laughs> and you need to get a car and but hearing that like put through a british filter is just strangely kind of uncanny uncanny valley <laughs> uh, in a way that I, I can't quite put my finger on it's weird it's weird so it's got radio stations, and um, I like uh, like put on, putting on the uh, classical radio station. <laughs> just old, uh, as I'm just literally going through people's back gardens in a, a banger in a kind of foolhardy off road race, uh, as like Mozart plays or something, is 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 just an extremely fun time. Graham was saying the intro is very good. Oh yeah, the intro is amazing. You kind of so the the, the kind of thing this game does this game's usp or whatever is that it's it's split into seasons and each season changes the races that you can do and it changes the tracks so like winter will obviously be more icy and lakes freeze over and you can do very very dangerous races <laughs> on the on those lakes and that kind of stuff um the intro does just happen in britain much <laughs> never observed it who could say um so yeah the, the intro is basically one race that goes through all four seasons oh nice and each time you kind of like leap off um, a, a big ramp through something exploding uh suddenly like there'll be a flash and you'll be in a, a different car and it'll be winter and then suddenly you'll do like a, a bit of winter racing i just showcases all the like types of racing and types of scenery you're going to see in the whole game and kind of what, what's about to unfold before you in one race it's really really nice and it's it's kind of absurd it's a bit kind of top gear so sometimes you race against hovercrafts that kind of cut it across your your um your race lines as you race to the finish that there's like a jet plane race at one point it's like <laughs> I, I don't know like my money's on the jet <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the, the jet just like like goes in figure eights around you just to look cool while you <laughs> while he's a holding pad <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the intro to that's great. And the, the kind of the way it unlocks stuff, new stuff for you really quickly is really nice. And there's, it, there's always a lot of different things on your plate, a lot of different types of races. Every time you complete one, another one just pops up somewhere else. Um, and it's, it's just like amazing finger food. It's really nice. Mm. It's really good. Um, yeah. I do like the notion of the time ramp that propels mm. you into a different, into a different like Wordsworthy and British kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, countryscape. The, the way you kind of move between them, I'm not like terribly far into it. So I, I gather there's, there's sort, there'll surely be a way to like just switch between them at will at some point. But as I'm kind of going through the campaign, you do these kind of showstopper events and uh, they're, they're like those big races against jet planes and things like that. And then at the end, they're just like, well, you know what? That's all we've got for racing season this season. There's going to be great events in the winter. and just means you're going to have to stick around for a few months. And then it's just like a time cut. And then it's just winter again. <laughs> and then all the events replenish and then you do lots more stuff. Showstopper events makes you think of the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. That would be a really good vibe for a competitive racing game, actually. Just everyone's <laughs> friends and no one wants to win. <laughs> so is, if one so, of you breaks so, down, the other one gets out and helps you. <laughs> 
it's, it's just a, get in my car we'll win together <laughs> <laughs> it's a really nice arcade racing game as well like the um the ai for the drivers you're competing against just seems to rubber band perfectly so that you're always kind of in, like once you've kind of got a, got up a difficulty yeah. or two there's always like cars around you which doesn't normally happen in racing games like often you just kind of speed off ahead or you're you've crashed into a ditch and that's the <laughs> yeah. end of that that's been my experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh speakers always not very good at them um then this one is it's the first time i've ever like actually activated manual manual gears and stuff because <laughs> the handling is like forza is a legit yeah. car get your series and um the the kind of handling models seem to be really really advanced and it's got a, a really nice way of kind of choosing your own difficulty where you could turn on like manual trans- transmission uh, and then you can turn on like clutch manual trans- uh, transmission where you're kind of also feathering the clutch and not accelerating while you're changing gears and that kind of stuff. Um, and you, you could turn off like ABS and turning assists and actually turn it into quite a, a really legit driving game as far as I could tell. Uh, but the way it kind of guides you into it is just completely automatic and, you know, it puts you in a very accessible level and then just entices you with extra experience for each race to just kind of turn a cool. few of these off bit by bit. Yeah. And suddenly you, you're in a really cool off-road intense race and it's, it feels like a real race game all of a sudden. It's, 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 it has that depth and that kind of layer of simulation beneath that veneer to make it really legit. How are you finding... It's a Windows Store game, right? Oh, yeah. it's So I think you need Windows 10 and also means having to go to the fucking Windows Store. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Like, I don't want to get bogged down in the... Obviously, because the more important thing is the game. Mm. But that, like, I really like the sound of it. But, mm. like, availability is the issue for me. Yeah. Because I don't have an Xbox and... I don't want to go to that part of Windows 10. <laughs> How have you found it? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a real mess. Like you buy it on the store in a browser, but then you sort of like have to go back into the browser to find the games that you've already bought and download it from there. Or you can go via the Xbox app that you install on your PC. Oh, no. And, um, it's all Xbox branded and you just, it's impossible to find out where your bought games are. Like it's really hard to find how just down, like it took me 10, 15 minutes of just searching through their shit to find out, find the download button for it. Um, once you've kind of gone through all that, like, there's nothing in the game that, like, is quiet in the game. The game is, is all there for you and getting back into the game is fine. Actually buying and installing things and through that shop is ridiculous. And I can't believe, it. I can't believe they designed it that way. Especially when they're just like, like, Origin's pretty good now. You know, yeah. God Galaxy is good now. It's not just Steam. Like, loads of clients <laughs> just work and present your library to you and let you download stuff. I don't understand why Microsoft with, their immense resources can't do a basic shop on the on PC. <laughs> Actually, you just reminded me that I haven't had to deal with you play in a long time. Mm. Like I've been playing. Seems it's fine, yeah. Yeah, it hasn't been a, a problem for ages. Yeah, so uh, most of them have basically copied Steam. Like here's a tab with your library, and that's where you download stuff from. And here's a tab which is the shop, and this is where you buy the stuff. Works. Yeah, it's <laughs> it fine. works. It works. But yeah, that's really annoying. Games lovely though. Mm. Thank you very much. Microsoft's agonizing about what to call games on PC mm. is kind of hilarious to watch. Yeah. Like, they just, it's got to have a brand, but games for Windows Live obviously did not go well and they rightly abandoned it and salted the earth. <laughs> never mention it again. Yeah, you never say any of those words again. Yeah. <laughs> um, terrible time in Guffle. But then calling it Xbox really just confuses the issue. Yeah, <laughs> that that is not clarifying anything. I have an Xbox on my PC. I'm running Xbox now. What is Xbox then? When I was buying the game on the Microsoft Store, it wasn't clear that I was even buying the PC version. Like it, it looked as though I was perhaps buying the Xbox version. And I don't know whether it, like you can install them across different systems I or whatever. Doubt I doubt that. it as well. <laughs> yeah. I doubt it as well. Um, but it was really, it was super clear. Like I don't understand why that just 
call it Microsoft Games across the both of them. Yeah, you know. Yeah. There you go. You just solved it. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know. It's a it's a, it's a big weird company, Microsoft. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. I think they really wanted Xbox to be a brand, whatever that means, but like. No one knows what that means. And everyone, it's also a very specific product. It is a very specific product. And I don't know what the benefit to that is. Mm. Like, you know, like I remember, I remember my dad, who knows nothing about video games really, explaining to me, consoling me. I, I was a teenager who was very upset that the Dreamcast had died. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, but PlayStation is a really good name. And I was like, and I'd never, I don't yeah, think I've ever heard my dad engage with branding since, but he was like, <laughs> that is a really good name. That tells you exactly what it is. Mm. And what it does. And like, I'd buy one of them. And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Dreamcast was, that is a stupid, that is like, my brand loyalty is switched. That is a stupid. And I was like, I didn't switch, but it was like that, that makes sense. Like, I get it. Mm. Um, it was a dumb name. <laughs> it was a dumb name. And it was because PlayStation, like, it, you know, it felt like a, it was a product you wanted to buy, right? Like it was, it, it does what it says. Xbox has always been a bad name. <laughs> It just, it is a, it's a bad name. It doesn't make any sense. Xbox, yeah. it was, Xbox, the very first one was a, a like an X-shaped box. It was <laughs> yeah, kind of cool. It was a colossal X-shaped box. Yeah, it is. Um, but it sounds like egg box. Like there's no, there's like, there's no <laughs> well, getting around. Xbox One X definitely goes down in yeah, history. Exactly. It's one of the worst names well, for anything Xbox ever. 360 is a stupid name. <laughs> yeah. It's not round. Xbox One was, was a historically <laughs> terrible name. <laughs> yeah. Each time they've broken new ground in terrible names. <laughs> exactly. They can't stop it. Like they, yeah. they have, like they have, and so that is maybe what is almost transcendental about the decision that Xbox is not a thing, <laughs> but a sort of idea because it doesn't mean anything. Like it gains, even though some, it has box in the name, <laughs> yeah, it gains some meaning as a thing, as a physical object. You can say Xbox is a bad name, but I understand that is the, the name of this physical series of objects mm. that I might purchase. As soon as it becomes that like Xbox is an idea, it goes back to being like totally meaningless again. <laughs> it has the ring of a, you know, uh, uh, a weekend long whiteboard lock-in where yeah. five yeah. execs go in <laughs> this happens and now they've, they've spent a lot of money on it and they have to stick to it and come what? back to corporate and say all right games <laughs> on pc are called xbox <laughs> <laughs> the xbox is called the xbox one except the one that isn't <laughs> which is the xbox one x <laughs> box like I remember really vividly, and maybe I've told this story on the podcast before, I was at a pre-E3 show hosted by Bethesda in a bit bizarre old big country house uh, when the Xbox One was announced before people knew what it was called. And they decided, they wheeled out a television for us all to all the games journalists to watch it, which is like a decent cross-section of British games outlets at the time. Hmm. So that we could watch it because obviously it was big news for almost everybody. And when uh, it was announced, like, and it is called the Xbox One X, everybody laughed. Like, and this was like, a cro- like, obviously not from a dev point of view, because it was just Bethesda people in the room, but it was like quite senior Bethesda people and the British games press or representatives from the outlets for. And it was just like, Ha-ha! like this kind of like ripple of like, that's the funniest thing we've ever heard, which is not like when someone they say PlayStation 4, everyone goes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Fair enough. It is the fourth one of With those you. objects. <laughs> but yeah. Oh God, Microsoft. Like, yeah. Sorry, I've completely derailed the fourth thing. Like, it just seems like, 
uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Like, announcing PlayStation 4 is a big win, because there's a bunch of people excited about the PlayStation, and they like the PlayStation 3, they know what they're getting with the PlayStation 4, yeah. and no one's like, ooh, is that the right name? <laughs> they're just like, way, it's happened! And then with Xbox One, it's like, what? I remember, I got into, like, a bit of a, not an argument, but a heated debate with some pretty senior Ubisoft people last year, because it was in the run-up to Assassin's Creed Origins coming out, and I was like, Assassin's Creed Origins is a stupid name. And they were like, why? And it's like, because it's the it's the eighth one <laughs> it's the eighth one and now it's not even the first chronological and, yeah, like, and then, now and then they it. follow it up the next year with Assassin's Creed Odyssey which is a perfectly fine name for the game yep. but it's a prequel to Origins <laughs> and you're like why is this so hard <laughs> like or maybe related protests why don't words mean things <laughs> I wonder to what extent they like these things get focus tested I mean Probably, perhaps not very much. <laughs> uh, when it gets yeah, I think they do. Uh, I think they must they, do. Must yeah, do. and ultimately, I don't think it really hurts things. I think it just <laughs> no, hurts writers like... specifically. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. Like, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, I'm glad. For, I'm glad Forza's Forza's lovely. Forza anyway, Horizon is lovely. Four. I'm looking forward to Hitman Two next week. <laughs> Again, oh, yeah, it's already yeah. come out like seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, and and you know, I suppose you know. Good, good for you, the Blackout Club. That is a cool <laughs> yep. name for a game yep. that is enigmatic, but also specific. Good job. So I'm looking forward to Battlefield 5, the sequel to Battlefield 1, the sequel to Battlefield 4, the sequel to Battlefield 3. Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. So yeah, um, yeah. I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah. I forgot about Battlefield 1. Fuck. I love that they called it Battlefield 5. <laughs> oh, they could have called it, like, it anything. Uh, yeah. They've reset it. Stupidly, stupidly. <laughs> so when, last year, when I was having this argument, the Assassin's Creed, the... Um, the uh Assassin's Creed man said, well, what would you call it then? Yeah. And I said, Assassin's Creed 5. Hmm. And that might sound stupid because it is Assassin's Creed 8. But the <laughs> argument was that the last one everyone liked was Assassin's Creed 4. Hmm. And so you'd be making it like, and, and, um, and also you could do it with a Roman numeral V, which upside down looks like the Assassin's Creed logo. Sold. <laughs> Done your branding for you. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Like, um, you know, and, and that was, so I'm not opposed to five in principle because it sounds like, wow, what a mature se- series. Hmm. But it is also a sequel to like 2142, the 2142nd <laughs> Battlefield game. Like, they could have called it Assassin's Creed Egypt and just yeah. ditch the whole Yeah, that would be my temptation. It's just like each one just be like, this one's Paris, this yeah. one's Egypt, this one's... Well, and when you've done another Paris one, it's just Paris. Oh, yeah, because they came <laughs> off the back of Syndicate, which is the name of a different game entirely, <laughs> off the back of Unity, which is the name of game development software. Yep. Mm. Like, Black Flag was the last very good, good name. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was... Th- fine, three is fine. Mm. Four, Black Flag is fine. <laughs> Rogue? I don't know. <laughs> How do I feel about two? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, okay, well, there was two, there was two, there was two Brotherhood, yeah, and then yeah, two, two Revelations. Yeah, there was two and then three other twos. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all nonsense. Our industry is nonsense. It's good. Imagine if, um, I suppose films don't have this problem, do they? A lot of films mm. just come out with the same fucking name as the... The Halloween series really does have this problem, I discovered. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to watch it for Halloween the other week. Yeah. Halloween H2O, the weird Chop Chop remake of Halloween. <laughs> Why yeah. did you call it H2O? It's, there's water. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers. There's a whole series in which I don't think any of them have numbers. They're all just different subsets of the title. So there's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Then there's Invasion. Then there's Body Snatchers. And then there's just another Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> and those are four different films. Yeah, maybe. So, yeah. Yeah. And then maybe we can't put this on the games industry specifically. Maybe this is just like an intractable. Mm. 
<laughs> cultural issue. <laughs> Good. We don't talk about names on this podcast. We do, we've, we've, like, many hours have gone into, like, <laughs> trying to name things. <laughs> well, we're all writers. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's but, like, it's the one part we can criticize. Yeah. Like, with experience. You've been playing some other things, I believe, Tom. Yeah, I, um, this is not a game that I, that I really got into, but I wanted to put it on people's radars in case it's their thing. Um, Time Spinners? Anyone heard of that? It's an indie game that, uh, I believe is, um, it's got a beautiful pixel art style and, um, it's a kind of Metroidvania. Um, and I've heard that it is very similar to Symphony of the Night. Is that a Castlevania game? It is a Castlevania. Um, and, uh, I was playing it at, as part of the IGF judging and it wasn't really for me, but it was just so beautifully made and just like lovingly crafted and, uh, polished and, uh, nice to interact with, um, that I felt like it needed, uh, a shout out. Uh, so if you're into those kinds of games, you should play it. It's much more, um, is it out, out or is it? Yeah, I think it's fully out. Um, it's much more story focused than other Metroidvanias I've played. It's less about the mechanics so far. I think, um, I played about an hour and a half or something. Um, and you are, uh, you have like an orb in each hand and what the orbs do can be, uh, can vary. And the one you start with is you just throw it out like a meter and it comes back to you. And so it's almost a melee attack. Um, but now I've got one that is just like a sort of magical sword thing that, that slams down and that's in my left hand and the, the old one's in my right hand. And so it alternates between doing those two things when I attack. And I think the character building stuff is kind of about finding combinations of that, that, that stack and, uh, special amulets that do a sort of super attack. Um, and you're exploring, uh, a kind of alien world that is partially futuristic and partly old fashioned. Um, and yeah, it just seems really promising, but cool. It's, uh, I, I stopped when I got to the classic Metroidvania thing of like, I think I've been everywhere, but I obviously haven't because there must mm. be somewhere I can still go, but I guess I didn't have the right thing when I was there last. And now I don't know which thing it is that I need to go there. But, um, I know from experience that people who like Metroidvanias dig that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not a criticism of it as a Metroidvania. Um, I also played Oberdin, which I know you guys talked yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, was your impressions broadly positive? Was yeah. It, yeah. You played it? Uh, I have not, um, although I'd like to. Pip has finished it and Alex has finished it, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing and, uh, a, a very, uh, unusual thing and just a, a take on the detective genre that is definitely worth playing. I did, however, spend a, at least 50% of my time with it extremely frustrated, <laughs> uh, because of just, two things about it one one thing they did do and one thing they didn't do um one is uh this bizarre thing where like when you um you use this magic watch on a, on a body to go back and see how it died and figure out that from a sort of still scene but when you do that if there are any corpses in that scene your watch you have like 15 seconds to look at the scene and then a weird thing happens with your book and then you're back in the scene, but now your watch is trembling and the music is like really tense and it's pushing you to go and investigate the other corpse. And uh, until you do that, it's just going to keep on trembling and keep on nagging you about it. And when you do do that, you have to go up to the corpse and then, um, uh, Oh, sorry. You, you activate the watch. Then the world goes black. Then it highlights the other corpse and you have to walk through the other corpse. And there's nothing else you can do. Then you've got to use the watch on the corpse and it doesn't take you into that corpse's dying moments. Instead, it pulls you 
sorry, it doesn't do anything yet. It fires a magic orb that then snakes through the ship in a really languorous way that kind of like intentionally takes detours and takes way longer than it should do to, to where that body would have been <laughs> in your time if it was there, which it isn't. And, and then you're allowed to use the watch on it and go into its memories, which you don't really want to do because you still haven't solved the last one. Uh, and. No, sorry, at that point, it doesn't let you go into, the, into that body yet. It takes you back to the real world, to the present day, and then you've got to use that body back on the ship so that you know where it is, and then you're in it. And it's like, that's a really weird way to, to present that, and also the fact that it just forces you to do it. You cannot do anything else until you do that. And it happens right as you're just investigating the mystery. Like I say, you have 15 seconds to look at that scene, mm. and that's just when I'm getting interested. That's just when I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I can... Oh, no, I've got to do this thing. And I've tried... After the first couple of times, I followed the rigmarole and it takes so long to do and it's so arduous and you lose your place of where you were on the ship. You lose your place of what you were thinking about and where the old corpse was that you were investigating that you actually want to solve. Mm. Um, and so after a while, it's like, okay, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to, the watch is trembling and the music is tense. So I'm just going to ignore it and try and solve this. And I can't. It's just like, it's like having someone tapping you on the shoulder the whole time you're trying to solve a, yeah. a murder. It's like, for fuck's sake, just leave me alone. Let me solve this one before I move on to the next one. And then this would be solved, I think, by the thing that is missing that I wish was there, which is just you have this book that tracks all the information about the cases and, and all the, the deaths and uh, all what you do know and what you don't know. Um, and it, you can like click on an individual memory to like see the transcript of it, but you can't view the memory from there. Mm. Uh, you have to go and walk to where the corpse is. And where is the corpse? Well, you can consult the map and then it's an X on the map and then you've got to figure out what a deck it is and you've got to walk there. And that's just a very slow and awkward interface for browsing these memories and the game or the game demands of you ultimately to solve all 60 things you've got to identify 60 from people uh you need to have a um you need to be comparing data from like you know multiple different memories from all across the ship like the first memory you ever saw versus the last memory you ever saw there's relevant information that you can cross-reference there and that's a really interesting challenge but if every time i want to look at each individual memory i have to come out of it walk around the ship, look, consult the map, find where the body is, walk to the body, check it's the right body because there might be one right next to it that looks very similar position on the map and then go into that and then there's a whole theme tune that plays and an animation that plays and then I'm into it and then I can walk around it and then look at the information. I've already forgotten what I was doing but at that point mm. and like trying to cross-reference three different memories that way, just forget it. And so there's loads of really interesting deduction stuff that I just didn't do because it was so much hassle to just walk between these things and get to the memories. And I wish I could yeah. click them in the book and just see them that way. Um, but I did. It was um, fascinating and, and engrossing. And I did ultimately solve it all. I ended up, I got around that, like, instead of doing the really interesting deduction work, I ended up gaming the system because uh, it has a system where it doesn't confirm your guesses about who people are and how they died until you have three of them that are correct. Um, which actually encourages you to guess. Like it's obviously you can't brute force it if you don't know anything. But if you have a theory, I found it was very useful to just put that theory in. And then every time it tells you, yeah, you got three right, you go back and look at all your theories that you entered and any that you filled in that they're still there, not confirmed, you know for sure they're wrong. And now you can eliminate that as a possibility. So that's like cheating the system, but actually the mechanics of that were still kind of interesting. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Your best guess is wrong. You know, it's kind of eliminating the, uh, uh, the impossible and then looking at what the next most likely explanation is mm. still deducing like a detective yeah. you know it still feels like you're figuring stuff out but it's obviously not what the game wanted me to engage with and if it had just given me a better interface for switching between memories i mm. totally would have been into like looking at people's shoes <laughs> and stuff like that <laughs> i absolutely love the book and the way it, like where it's presented with an enormous and like 
deliberately blurs out people's faces and then they kind of like come into clarity as you find information and often it's like I don't know why you think I know who that is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and but, I exploited that as well because sometimes like right after a conversation like someone will mention Peter and right after that one of the people in the scene is right. now unblurred and yeah. like well that's obviously Peter I, like from the conversation I couldn't have told you that's Peter but I guess you're telling me that's Peter. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of like just little drop down menus of like how was this person killed? And it's like that, that list of things is hilarious. Yeah. It's like, wow. About half shit. of those are never used. As well. Really? Shit went down on this ship. <laughs> um, yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> I guess the ding of approval from Tom yeah, Senior. It does. I, I'm fascinated by its development process. I'd love to, I'd love to see like the tale. feedback from the testing rounds because it feels mm. very much like a game where just again and again and again testers couldn't do it because there are so many things that like mm. like the fates that it will accept you know for any given death there are about five different fates it will accept because there are so many different ways you could say well you know this cannon's going off but is it the guy who lit the fuses responsible or the the monster that pushed the thing mm. or is it the person who's standing in the way or and it will just it's solution to that as well all of those are, are fine <laughs> get any of those and i was paranoid about that it. i only played it for a couple of hours but i was really worried about putting the precise thing in in case it didn't register yeah. yeah like if a monster is attacking the ship and someone is falling overboard do you say they were <laughs> yeah. rent apart by the monster do you say they were drowned or do or you say they fell overboard because that's also a act of god <laughs> weird thing to happen to you good stuff shall we do some questions sure yeah, I don't know what the intonation on that sentence was, but I'm sticking to it. So uh, before we do some questions, I wanted to uh, say thank you to a couple of listeners who sent us some lovely thank you messages uh, this week or over the last couple of weeks as we've been away. Like not not stuff we'd normally uh, read out, but a particular uh, shout out to Sean, who I think is having a bit of a tough time at the moment, but sent us a really lovely email. So thank you very much for that. We, we read it aloud in a way that we could all hear because that's how that works. And thank you also to Philip who sent us a, a lovely message talking about, uh, sort of listening to the pod from, from its origins as the PC game podcast. And it's always nice to receive those things. Don't want to necessarily yeah. end up with too much collective smoke blowing, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it's the smoke has been blown in. We will not exhale it. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Like a bizarre sort of unvape. <laughs> <laughs> That's us, the anti-vape. <laughs> um, good, but yes, thank you for that. Uh, like, I'm, I'm struggling hugely to express anything other than sort of like petrification at the <laughs> at the implication that anyone enjoys this thing that happens in my <laughs> office once a week. But thank you very much for emailing because it is nice, and thank you to everyone who sent emails uh, that we will now thusly answer in the form of questions from. <laughs> Try to, at least. Yeah, from questions. I've completely thrown myself. Well, answer in the form of questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really mean that? Yeah. Riddles from Riddles. <laughs> this riddle is sent unto us from Aiden, who writes, Hi all. What are your top UI or loot sounds? Do you lust after a satisfying thunk when you equip a weapon? Or perhaps a lovely chime when something sparkly drops from a corpse? Or perhaps the diku diku that accompanies a pause in Mario is what floats your boat. What is your fake foley fantasy? Thanks, Aiden. I don't know why I decided <laughs> to read that in a sexy way. And if it wasn't obviously me trying to read it in a sexy way, then I wasn't. <laughs> um, I, this is yeah. not PC, but I, I do love the switch interface noises for the, just the general. Mm, so yeah. switch. Kind of very good like, at this. Finger yeah, snappy, yeah. clicky thing. And it's just like, I don't know, there's, there's a way to like, because it's coming through speakers that are not necessarily perfect. 
there's there's a way to like roll with that and, and make a sound that is just going to sound sharp and clear and nice no matter what. Yeah, this is going to be quite like a harsh sound anyway. It's going to be tinny anyway, so it mm, might as well be like exactly, yeah. a satisfying woody kind of clap. Mm. The woody clap. <laughs> the woody clap of the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I do enjoy the uh, sort of generic clatter of you've switched guns in uh, all FPSs, that's, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure a gun wouldn't happen. It sounds like you know a bu- you know a bunch of uh, pipes strapped together like Ripley does at the end of Aliens it's like you've just dropped that onto the floor for about yeah. six feet high like it's a very loud and unusual sound but it's very satisfying yeah like imagine getting a gun out of like a holster is it like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. more like <laughs> you know yeah. Um, yeah no similarly reloading sounds mm-hmm. like a good kind of like because they have that the the great thing about those sounds is they express the satisfaction of getting that right first time. Like if you put a USB stick in the right way first time, <laughs> which is the closest I will ever get to reloading a gun, um, it, do- it doesn't make a sound, right? Like it doesn't like active reload for USB sticks. <laughs> yeah. You fuck it up, you turn it upside down. Oh no, the default is you turn it, you, you get it wrong once and then you turn around and you get it right. And if you fuck it up, you get it wrong both <laughs> times somehow, which that doesn't happen in yeah. real life. Because yeah, that's, that's the thing, you only get the satisfying clattery sound if you really fuck up putting a USB stick in. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, sort of bumping pointlessly against the uh, the exterior case of your PC or device. Mm. Uh, whereas, you know, there is a sort of... But there's something satisfying that can be expressed in an audio way. So the kind of, like, a chunk of a clip going in... I imagine it doesn't really make a lot of sound if, you know, like, when that happens. And maybe it does. I have no idea. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I never will. Um, but- FTL and Into the Breach both have nice UI sound effects, I think. Mm. And those are both done by Power Up Audio who do the, the audio for a shitload of indie games, actually, like, mm. probably half the indie games you like. <laughs> That's audio. a good shout-out, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do love the sound of um, both high-level gems dropping in Diablo 3 <laughs> and also legendaries dropping in Diablo 3. Yeah. Because, like, those, like, the kind of noise that, uh, that gems have, yeah. it, like, it's suddenly, like, stop everything <laughs> the loot machine says yes <laughs> and then you immediately just kind of like you sort of like polish off all the monsters sort of unconscious unconsciously just like through muscle memory and you're like l- looking for the, the beautiful uh gold glowing spire coming out of the legendary that's dropped somewhere and he's like yeah i'm gonna get to that in a minute actually i do love um in modern um multiplayer games there's usually a kind of like ding when you hit somebody yeah or like it's sometimes an option you can turn on hmm. and it like it shouldn't work because it's not what's the word diegetic Ex- diegetic. diegetic yeah um because like shooting someone would make that noise but <laughs> on the other bell. hand counterpoint i really need to know if i shot that guy or not yeah. <laughs> similarly yeah if, even if it's just a basic ass ding it sounds so good because you know it means something really positive a basic ass ding <laughs> basic <I> mean, ass some- <laughs> <laughs> um like you get it, particularly when it's like a kill sound as well, which somehow builds off the ding. So it's like that was either, that was a lethal hit. That's, yeah. And like, it's so arbitrary, but it's like it, and, and because the sound is often nothing to do with actually like the, um, the sound of the gun or, or the weapon you're using or anything like that. It is just a sort of like notification click. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> but it's like getting a text. But, yeah. It's like this if every like, Facebook notification was like shot somebody. <laughs> well, it's like, this is just a message to say you're an excellent murderer. <laughs> Like you have seventeen notifications from terrorist five. See, that makes me nervous. <laughs> like if it was like getting a notification, like I'm a very much an inbox zero kind of person. Yeah, so. I've had to. So on Facebook, I actually used ad block to block the like, I don't know, iframe or whatever it is that that is the notification badge on Facebook because it was sending me so many notifications that were just like, this person has posted, 
that person exists still. Yeah. That it's person just, knows that person now. And there's nothing to do with me. Not real notifications, but you cannot turn them off. The one I hate the most is, it's this person's birthday. Send them a message to say you're thinking of them. But I, I wasn't until you just said that. It's like having <laughs> now lost, it's fake. It's like I lost the game to Facebook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the game is like, thinking of this guy called Stefan I went to university with and never thought about in 12 years. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Uh, sorry to just dunk on Stefan there. He's never going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Stefan. Uh, like, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other good sounds. I have played so much Assassin's Creed recently, but I can't really draw it out. Like, everything in that game is really satisfying. And earlier I was quite stressed out, and I just wanted the experience of doing the um, overpower move with the two-handed axe. Oh, yeah. Which is where you hit... Like, it's not something you can really do with an axe. You hit someone over your head with the axe. And then pick them up with the axe and just throw them away. <laughs> like, I don't want you anymore. And if you're close enough to another enemy, you can immediately chain it into another enemy in a kind of yeah. bullet time way. And there's some combination of thunks and sort of bullet time vooms that makes it almost very soothing. Like being sort of, like, it's, I don't know, I just, I realized I was stressed out and that's the experience I needed to have. <laughs> I do actually quite like the dismantling noise in Assassin's Creed when you like oh, yeah, break kind of, up stuff in your inventory because yeah. like it, it's one of those things that it, it's a common modern <laughs> interface paradigm where like you have to hold the button to do it mm. and it takes a certain amount of time but like, while it's taking the time it also makes a sound for that and then also when it's finished as a special sound for it and that it all feels kind of nice. When you said dismantling I actually thought you meant the opposite of mantling i.e. the noise, <laughs> the, noise <laughs> the noise it makes when you let go because that's I'm dismantle his axe by climbing down it yeah. <laughs> but like you when you're climbing down things and you you tap the button to like let go and grab onto the next one there's also a really great kind of like <laughs> yeah, what is the sound of someone letting go of something yeah <laughs> it's like a sort of like i'm a, like that expresses i'm confidently letting go rather than i'm falling yeah. off of this yeah, man. What not that is. My favorite Assassin's Creed mantling move, by the way, is when you, and it, it's clearly just a crutch they had to put in because otherwise you wouldn't be able to scale some buildings. Hmm. But like, you're climbing up a building and there's like just an outcropping, like a ledge that's coming out above you. And realistically, you would not be able to do that. But there's just this special Assassin's Creed thing where you do, where you jump backwards, but also up and then grab onto it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, yeah. every time I see it, it's like the, well, we're just going to say you got up there. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I showed, um, I showed my like mountain climbing friend who's a very serious climber, Assassin's <laughs> Creed. And he just shook his head. <laughs> seeing the sort of nonsense that he does. What is slightly strange is that there are some walls in that game that you can't mm. climb, like, except at certain points. And there's no consistency. Like, there'll be ones with really deep grooves between the bricks but you can't grip those mm. but then later like the 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 marble pillars that support the temples that have right. no handholds yeah. big yeah, metal statue of your granddad that's fine <laughs> <Straight> away <laughs> yeah like um there's um there's so much in that game that i love because it's just pure like ah go on then <laughs> it's like the difference between and i, I appreciate the mounds of topic. petals beneath each uh, yeah well, well i don't take full damage anymore yeah, like, I just oh, yeah. I jump right. off a mountain and I do a little forward flip in the air, and somehow it feels right that I just do a forward roll. <laughs> yeah. Like I like uh, like I'm constantly just like getting places by just landing in groups of people, like and doing a forward you roll. You can hurt but, them as well, right? You can, yeah, you can squash people by bouncing on them like Mario. <laughs> um, like, but there's so much of that game is like I think the the crucial difference between Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Red Dead Redemption Two, which I know we can't get into in huge detail because <laughs> it's not a PC game, but Red Dead Redemption Two 
is your simulationist pen and paper role playing campaign with a GM who takes their job very seriously. <laughs> and Assassin's Creed is your just for fun role playing campaign with a GM that wants you to have a good time. And neither of those processes, approaches are wrong or right. It's just that like, Assassin's Creed is the game where you go like, I've fallen off this building, but I'm going to do a roly poly in the air. <laughs> Can I roll a dice to see if I survive? I got a three. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> like whereas you know red dead from what i understand you crashed your horse into it, a tree game yeah, over everyone has died <laughs> like, yeah there's a good bug in uh red dead and no one knows quite why this is happening but there's a particular road where horses just catch fire when they go <laughs> on it and uh fire spreads in that game and um there's a great video online of a horse just spontaneously combusting and then a carriage rolls over it and the, those two horses also spontaneously like, they catch fire as well and it's a whole pile up in the That's wild great. west that makes yeah like i saw this story while we were after you guys arrived but i did run into an, a bandit camp in assassin's creed and a spooked dog so badly that the dog caught fire by jumping backwards into a brazier and then everything on the camp caught fire and everyone died i didn't have to do anything and it was just great i think we should uh give thanks to um fire propagation tech yeah. ever since far cry 2 and i'm sure the yeah. games before that because it's in so many games now and it's always brilliant yeah. did you see um because it doesn't work that way <laughs> I, know. I don't think we mentioned it but uh brendan chung is making a new game called skin deep oh yeah which is a die hard in space um and he was showing a video recently of, of like, uh, he was testing a fire propagation tech for it. And his test object was a teapot, which I guess is like a, a 3D rendering. Uh, it's a common test object for 3D rendering. Mm. Not so much for fire propagation because of the properties of a teapot. <laughs> but anyway, he had set it to, to be flammable. And then there were two teapots and like one of them caught the other one alight. And then the first one burnt out. But then the second one caught the first one alight because it was no longer a light and it was a light and they sort of just burn each other forever. <laughs> this is the infinite oh, fuel yeah. resource that humanity needs. <laughs> yeah. Two you teapots. Need to, <laughs> igniting one another forever. <laughs> if you want to imagine the future of humankind. <laughs> yeah, you need to, you need to have some kind of like, I guess it's like a fuel stat that everything mm. has or like yeah, a burnability. Like, yeah. yeah. How, how much burn does it have left in it? Yeah. Yeah, the, um, yes, the, the, the Nicholas, the Nicholas Cage variable, how to get burned, <laughs> which you check against <laughs> in order to determine whether it can get burned again. Um, good. That was a question about cyber design. Burn me twice. Can't, can't, can't get burned again. <laughs> That's the same as the same What are we talking about? Um, a person from the internet writes, Dear Krobel Lorry Crates, it's November the 5th on Monday, or it was. So, uh, with some rhyme but little reason, here's some more Guy Fawkes riffs. Remember, remember, Alex the pod member, heralded by a toot toot. The pod was derailed as laughter prevailed because of the low-hanging flute. <laughs> remember, remember, degrees burnt to ember. Tom F. has nullified the lot. Maths and philosophy, dual-spec ferocity, the poetry metric begot. <laughs> Cop out there. Lovely. And for questions, what video game character do you think would give the best hugs? Thanks again for all the rad pods. Cheers. A person from the internet. Mm, that was excellent. That was very good. And followed by a completely unrelated question. <laughs> I'm going to say the frost trolls in Skyrim would give good hugs. Because they're they're like furry but cold. So it wouldn't be too hot or too cold. That's my theory. (laughs) So are we assuming, are we assuming like intent to hug applied to a character? So the hostility of those characters doesn't matter. Yeah, let's let's assume that. (laughs) Otherwise my suggestion is bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The boss 
Goro from the Mortal Kombat series. Oh, yeah. He does have four big old arms and he'd wrap <laughs> oh, right around you real good. <laughs> How comforting. <laughs> Dr. Octopus. <laughs> the, the, the cold steel of his <laughs> augmented arms around Definitely you. Definitely like a ranged hug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I can't. Dog from Half-Life 2. Mm. Crush you, I think, by accident. I think, well, <laughs> the traveler from Destiny. Because, because again, with a big, big sphere, you can achieve a kind of maximum surface area. But you, you're, you have it's to hug the goal. it, though. Right? Yeah, that's true. It's not giving you a hug. You're hugging it. That's, it would have that's to be, true. You'd have to invert around you somehow, or something. <laughs> that's true. So you're inside, inside of the traveler. <laughs> travel oh, so this is so comfortable. Yeah, and is that Vore? Who can say? <laughs> if it eats you, <laughs> there's probably um, a website yeah, for no, it. Yeah, that's, no, that's wrong. Um, yeah, because I was actually, that, that's an interesting, um, but is it interesting? Let's find out. Um, sort of hair to split because like, I assume like you, you say giving a hug, but it's sort of like a mutual exercise, mm-hmm. like hugging because hugging is a reciprocal act, right? Can be. Yeah. So you can okay. hug something yes, that isn't hugging back. That is mm. true. Yeah, that is true. Um, wow. Head crabs. <laughs> <laughs> Very one way hug. Yeah. Yeah. Too intense. Too intense. Yeah. Don't like too. I mean, yeah. Like, Hmm. Anyone else got anything for this? Because I'm, I'm just reminded of completely blank in a kind of blissful way. Like I was being hugged by a frost troll. A frost troll. Yeah, we'll go with, we'll go with frost trolls, I guess. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a very good one. Yeah. Good. What's the widest video game character you can think of? You, <laughs> you want it to wrap right around you, right? That's, that's kind of the thing. Uh... <laughs> I was going to say the gaping dragon from Dark Souls, but that's oh, definitely for as well. Yeah. I mean, that would be like a, 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 every part of you will be hugged. Yeah. Which one out of... What about Nobby Nobby Boy? <laughs> What's that? He's the big, he's the big, like, tube man. But what are you talking about? Isn't it, what are you talking isn't it, about? Isn't it Nobby Nobby Boy? Because Nobby Nobby Boy is like... <laughs> A really, like, it's the, it's the game. What are you saying, guys? <laughs> what are you saying to me? What uh, the fuck is not Katamari Damacy. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's it. like a Katamari-esque. He's a, he's like a boy, but he's also like a, like a big sock. Or it's a, a very long sausage <laughs> that goes to the moon. What eventually. are you saying? <laughs> sounds great. Let's play it. Yeah, there, there's no further explanation that was going to make this make <laughs> no. any more sense to you. No. Once you see the game, it'll make the exact same amount of sense <laughs> to you. <laughs> but no, a good suggestion. A good hope. Yeah. Yeah, again, because the Katamari situation has like the opposite problem, the same as problem as the Destiny Ball. Like right? you're yeah. hugging it, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Yeah, the Destiny Ball. The Traveler is it called? <laughs> 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 if only their law was like one step more generic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, yes, the Destiny Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Spit out little robot. Make me a <laughs> magic man. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Should we do a different question? Because sure. I'm completely uh, blanking on that for some reason. David writes, Hi all. King of Dragon Pass and its sequel, Six Ages, came up in episode 249. That's 12 episodes ago. Uh, I haven't played Six Ages yet, but I found King of Dragon Pass very immersive. Marsh said that he found the culture of the game confusing, as I did when I first started playing King of Dragon Pass. I've been wanting to go back and do a study of how it introduces the culture of Glorantha. Since I'm very interested in linguistics and cultural studies, so I'm afraid it will end up being yet another project stuck on the back burner. My question is... What games convey a sense of being in and learning about another culture? Conversely, 
what games seem a bit off because they just import modern Western values into a different setting. I don't remember which of you mentioned it. It was Alex. But I enjoyed the critique of how Shadow of the Tomb Raider had people from an uncontacted civilization acting in accordance to Western values. Have you ever experienced a game of uh, a sense of culture shock through games? As an additional comment on episode 249, it is a true fact that Eternal Darkness was a great game. There was so much detail that it really deserved multiple playthroughs. There would have been even been subtle changes in how enemies behave based on which god your centurion interacted with in the first act. It would be great to see another developer pick up the baton. Also, Chris, I totally understood the rambling opening to 259, so you're not alone. Take care. David. Thanks, David, for that vindication and also that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking so much then that I feel a bit faint. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, one long breath. Yeah, that's that's what the big long emails do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have it like a... So every time I'm... I did not really grow up with Japanese games because I was a PC gamer um, and, and Japanese stuff was mostly console only. And so now when I play like a JRPG, it's just baffling to me. It just feels like I don't... I, it was actually kind of when I played Undertale, I realized like, oh, like random encounters, this thing that just seems utter bullshit to me. Yeah, just mm. like a convention. It's just it's a, a whole group of people are just fine with. It's just, it's totally cool. It just, you walk 10 steps and then suddenly you got to deal with another bullshit fight. Um, and so there's a huge amount of like just learned kind of acceptance that I don't have for those games. And I, it's really hard for me to get into any of them now. Um, and weirdly, something that sprung to mind is it's not a game from another culture, but it felt like it was, um, which is seven grand steps, which I haven't talked about in years and years and years, but, um, it's a very weird mix between, it almost feels like it could have been a board game. Um, and there's a kind of wheel of life and it's very symbolic and you're kind of, um, I don't know, like building urns to store wine or making decisions about your family, but in a very abstract way. And it's, uh, it, the way it felt to me was like a sort of like a board game or a traditional game kind of made about a life that was just totally, you know, uh, unlike, uh, ours. And, I found it weirdly engrossing. Like it was one of the, the few times that I kind of really got into that kind of game. Mm. And, um, all of the, it, w- it was very abstracted and very, a bunch of symbols rather than, you know, anything being really depicted, but it's still the mechanics kind of mapped onto what it was representing in a, in a surprisingly, uh, impressive way. Hmm. I've definitely felt this with, um, Japanese games, not necessarily culture shock, but the idea that I'm engaging with a different culture, albeit through the lens of a pop culture artifact that's going to obviously going to be kind of artificial in lots of ways but i still really felt through games like yakuza uh zero yeah, which yakuza like yakuza. yeah. where like uh, like this game is trying to reflect actual things that happened in the 1980s in particular parts of japan and I, I, like i do find it like really fascinating and it adds an extra dimension to the game to me to be engaged with this different culture this in this different time um mm. and also i also feel like from Stalker through to Metro and through to just kind of brutalist, um, Russian and Eastern European aesthetic. Like I feel like I'm engaging with a different, something that's sort of unfamiliar to me. And I, I find that valuable as well in an interesting way. Yeah. There's a sort of confluence of systems and which express things like an interest in simulation, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. And sort of, uh, like, yeah, sort of straight up. Like, I mean, you know, those games are both, um, set in. Russia and Eastern Europe, right? That's the yeah. idea. Like, and there's nothing about that setting that necessarily, um, you know, alters itself for a different audience. 
Yeah. Right. But, right. I, but I feel like, not a culture shock, but like, that I'm kind of gaining an extra kind of cultural dimension from this thing that I wouldn't necessarily from yeah. the other games. Like, I've been, like, I always find that I've been weird in relationship with this because one thing I, I really appreciate Assassin's Creed for is this, like, sort of, like, world history tour in the most absurd way. <laughs> like, it's totally absurd. And the things that, you know, like, I was going to say that, like, um, Odyssey particularly has repeatedly struck me as a game where, um, sort of modern values are transplanted backwards into the past in the most unapologetic way. <laughs> like, I think that's a very conscious thing. Like, I don't think it's, of a failing of the game's ambitions necessarily like you know as cassandra ideally you you have all the options in the world to just respond to situations like there are phrases that come up that you definitely wouldn't say if you were like a third or fourth century bc greek you know like there's a lot of like um you know like it's it's it really is pop in that regard but there is something about um, that I, that Assassin's Creed learned us from two onwards. That's just really nice about being surrounded by, um, like hearing a lot of, um, sort of Greek terminology and names I'm familiar with, but pronounced correctly. Yeah. It's <laughs> really nice. Like, so that's not to say that's completely accurate because there's, there are definitely, um, actors doing accents in Odyssey <laughs> and some of them, don't do it great but the principal cast is good mm. and so you get the kind of like you know I, I remember having this exact experience with um uh the italian games where it was sort of nice to hear mm. italian terminology spoken with an italian accent mm. because obviously they made that mistake with Assassin's creed one where altair spoke with an american accent right because that was a conceit they kind of got rid of which was that altair was basically desmond in the past right that like he sort of saw himself in that position mm. um and there's something about that that's nice. And that's not even culture really so much as it's just nice being in sort of immersed in the sound of a place to some extent, to an inconsistent extent, but even so. Yeah. I, d- I do really appreciate hearing people uh, speaking fluently in their own languages. So like in yeah. XCOM and stuff like that, I really appreciated that they added just um, Spanish people speaking Spanish. I don't know if they yeah. actually were Spanish, those were actors, but like, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, cool. it's nice to be surrounded cool. by other languages and, mm. and that kind of thing. I remember in Crisis, it was a difficulty option. Like on the hardest difficulty, the enemy <laughs> spoke Korean because they were Korean. Right. But on the lowest difficulties, they, they spoke, they spoke American. So you could hear when they said grenade. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. I feel like, uh, Zeno Clash felt like a bit of a culture sock. Yeah, it's a good. Example. I don't know what culture <laughs> I was experiencing, Eastern. but it was, um, <laughs> it definitely felt like it was one of the few games that really feels like it was made in a different culture, you know, kind of, um, so many of its sensibilities just like whoa <laughs> that's not how things are normally done although actually it's weird replaying like a lot of ace team i recently replayed a bunch of ace team games including Xenoclash clash and rock of ages which is another one of theirs and what's really interesting is like it's very it's definitely very idiosyncratic um but it's also like not you know not derivative is isn't the right word but it heavily influenced by other parts of pop culture like it feels more of a pop culture thing like xenoclash feels very much like certain 80s sort of comic books to me mm. like there's there's a sort of a bit of um like of that era to it similarly rock of ages is heavily inspired by python like you know yeah terry gilliam stuff like it, it, it's absolutely like and obviously sort of put through a different filter but it feels like it's more that that particular aesthetic is 
is feels very novel in a game setting rather than like specific to the culture of the people making it. It's like in fact it's a borrowing from British comedy, like you know, anything, yeah. like. Um, but yeah, I think maybe more than anything else, it kind of highlights how nice it is to encounter things that sort of feel and sound sort of anything other than sort of kind of mm. typified within the kind of current remit of sort of Western produced games. To flip the question a little bit, are there any games that you guys feel reflect British culture in interesting ways or <laughs> great British bake off? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is obviously the, the great export of our times, <laughs> but like I would, so Wow, that's a really interesting question because it's actually really difficult to answer because it's From like, the inside, it's odd, isn't it? I would say Fable. Mm. The Fable games have like a really specific, um, sense of like, sense of humor, but also like kind of sense of what's important. Like it's, it's, it's more comfortable being a fairy tale. Like it's not very bombastic. You can fart whenever you like. <laughs> it's again, heavily like, I don't know what, I don't know whether there's, if you can split the hair between heavily influenced by an aspect of British pop culture and representative of British culture, because mm. culture kind of is pop culture to some extent, like, you know what I mean? These mm. things. So like I say, fable games are very sort of, you know, like a lot of, um, British fantasy stuff like Warhammer heavily influenced by like eighties and nineties British comedy, mm. like absolutely full of, you know, from, or well, even earlier than that. So basically Python through, all the way through to Red Dwarf is basically like heavily represented in like mm. pretty much any British comedy thing. And it's, that's very true of games journalism as well. Like, mm. um, yeah, I sort of what, what games would give that experience to other, to I think Fable might, players. but yeah, Fable's reference. Fable's an interesting yeah. show for sure. Um, similarly, I think on the flip side, like, um, Wipeout for me has always felt very, uh, I appreciate not a PC series, but very specific to a particular sort of place in time. Like, even though the game itself is not set in anything resembling Britain, because it's future cars and shooting across mm. landscapes, that its relationship with like British electronic music and club culture mm. and design feels very specific to me. But maybe that's because I like those things. So, it's mm. a, but nonetheless, like that's on a different angle because it, it's normally comedy is normally the thing mm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's either comedy or like sort of overt sort of Britishness, which basically just means steampunk. <laughs> also, <if> like, <laughs> like, also, if like, um, Ben there done that, which is just explicitly, yeah, humor exercise through an adventure game. Yeah, again, yeah, yeah I thought of, um, Size 5, is that the name of the studio? <laughs> Dan Marshall. Yeah, yeah Dan Marshall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really, I really like this. Because this should be Zombie Cow, right? This game is really cool. Um, but then I see stuff like everybody's gone to the rapture and that type of depiction of like British villages, even though it like can be accurate in some ways, it doesn't, I don't feel like it reflects the reality of it. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, I think, um, but then again, like dear Esther reminds me so much, not, I mean, it's not simply because it's set in, in England, but because it's, or it's in, in Scotland, but because it's, it's for me, it's really reflective of like a particular type of, like theater that I've seen mm. a lot of like, so, you know, and that's not to say it doesn't exist elsewhere, but like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really interesting question for that reason. It's like, mm. I guess the, the bottom of it is like, what the fuck is culture? <laughs> like, did you hear the anecdote about, um, everybody's gone to the rapture uh, when 
the like when Sony tested it and that the American producers when they played it couldn't figure out uh, they just thought the game kind of ended at this certain fence and when the uh, when the the dev team like watched them play they realized oh you don't know what a style, style is, is. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay yeah like the the little for american listeners uh the little like low plank that is sticking out of a fence means you can climb over it right. and to uh, anyone who's uh, gone for a walk in british countryside they know what that is cuz you have to go across them but yeah, the, the American producers are just <laughs> stopping there and just thinking that's the end of the game. <laughs> like, yeah, the style yeah, is, yeah. The, is the uncharted white ledge of the British countryside. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, climb this. Like, yeah. 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 I, I would say that, like, uh, everyone's got to throw up to this interesting because, yeah, like, its depiction of British kind of country life is, is definitely kind of like idyllic and almost like frozen in amber and a bit unrelatable. Mm. But the kind of sci fi that it is. Is very much in a mm. kind of British tradition. Like it's like day, day of the Trivers, Day of the Trivers, Day of the Triffids. <laughs> Those damn Trivers. <laughs> day of the Trevors. <laughs> Um, Day of the Triffids, like Quatermass, like yeah, yeah like yeah, those yeah. kinds of things. It's really true. Actually. War of the Worlds, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like as in, like something's gone wrong in the village, and we're, we're to be incinerated, Marjorie. Oh well. <laughs> and now Doctor Who, <laughs> like, Doctor Who and stuff like that, for sure. Yeah, I, I would like to submit as an honorary British game, uh, Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Good shout. Yeah, not made by a British developer, but very much uh, British feel. Yeah, I was thinking about like maybe the things that feel uh, more authentic, often interpreted by people from outside of the culture which is i've always found it odd that um the games that america love about america are rock star games yeah that, uh, you know some british people trying to interpret and like that's that's like to- yeah god that's bizarre isn't it like thinking mm. about that like because gta started off as like a piss take right yeah. of american culture it was like it really was it was a comedy game mm. like a wall-to-wall comedy game and it's like it feels like rockstar has always existed in tension with like comedy game versus we really love scorsese movies <laughs> like and those two like fucking like planetary kind of gravitational forces one has now obliterated the other and yeah. they're full-on movies now mm. like and they are like movies they interrogate they used to interrogate american culture from the kind of like you know bag of poo throwing outsider <laughs> position and now they try and interrogate it from within like as a kind of cult like as a you know in, in a far more like we would like to be recognized type artistic yeah. way yeah yeah, that's I, I feel it really journey. intensely in Red Dead 2 because, like, it's trying to say stuff about, you know, concepts of freedom in America and, you know, the frontier and what it means and whether it's a desirable thing or a thing that should be, like, maintained. Um, and I'm like, well, the people commenting on this from the very, very top are actually a couple of rich Brits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Man. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you for the question. Thank you. That was good. Hopefully we answered it. I think we did. Next question comes from Dan, who writes, Dear, uh, Oh God, I think I'm going to mispronounce something now. Please encase me in the bubble of it's okay, Chris. <laughs> Dear Krat and Brickisia. Oh God, I will have fucked that up. On a recent pod, Alex mentioned sensible soccer, which I misheard as sensible stalker. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, that whole game look, feel, gameplay just popped into my it's head so in a flash of inspiration. As I think it did for everybody yeah. listening to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can all see it. <laughs> Too bad I'll never have the time or skills to make it. Hopefully someone like Dan Marshall can get on that. My questions are, one, do you agree that Sensible Stalker would be amazing? The closest <laughs> I can think of that exists is Teleglitch, which I love. Two, have you ever had such bolts from the blue triggered by random happenstance? Three, what other misheard game title mashups do you think 
would be great. We've already got Super Mario XCOM, Return to Castlevania, Red Dance Revolution, Pip Pip Cheerio and all that. Uh, Dan, which might be, yeah, I'm probably pronouncing some things wrong. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So, like, it's great that you kind of get it immediately. Mm. Like, the, the issue with, yeah, the great thing about sensible soccer is it boils football down to a point where it's just the one thing that's fun about football. And so I both do and don't know what you would do in sensible soccer, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, I immediately have the sense of like, oh, like commandos, but mm. I'm starving to death. <laughs> and weird anomalies are just flinging you across the map. Yeah, like or cannon fodder. Physics way. Yeah, like, yeah, like a sort of like, Sort of radioactive horror cannon fodder. <laughs> I associate uh, sensible soccer with like particularly the control scheme, the way it felt, how slippery and fast it was, and yeah, know, what it looked like to lob a ball into the air and have it kind of the sprite go bigger and go down, and how, how kind of like chaotic and sort of pinball like it was almost. Uh, yeah, uh, so I, I don't know how that would ever translate onto Stalker because it's like literally the opposite <laughs> of what Stalker's like. Stalker's you a crawling, can't... terrifying game about what, being what lost. Is... Weird thing about Stalker is you ran at the speed of a motorcycle, you were insanely fast. <laughs> Like you were sprinting because it was an open world game, but they had no fast travel or no travel mechanisms, so you just sprint, sprint at an incredible rate. Mm. I was going to say sprint then, which is not the fast <laughs> sense to sprint, <laughs> but maybe it should be. I don't know. Yeah. You put your points into sprint, <laughs> <laughs> max level sprint. <laughs> it- <laughs> Sprantable stalker. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe it's like just speedrun stalker. Like it's a sensible soccer. I mean, it's it's a joke that it's called sensible soccer because it is. It's, it's not sensible at all. It's, it's, it's quite silly. Deeply insensible. So, it, so someone kicked in the door of sensible soccer. <laughs> this isn't sensible at all. <laughs> so insen- what are you jokers doing? <laughs> so whatever fits the the description, insensible stalker is going to fit for this game. So like insane sprant speeds is obviously a good one. <laughs> Bazookas. Uh, oh, <laughs> Sensible sprint. You just, that is, I don't know why that is such a, like, well, it's funny. Sensible stalker was one of those, oh yeah, immediately, that's a permanent part of my mind now, <laughs> things. And so is the word sprant. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems to just spawn other ideas. We birthed a word today. <laughs> Congratulations to one and all. <laughs> Uh, so the other part was, um, bolts in the blue triggered by random happenstance. Honestly, most of mine happen in the back half of this podcast. <laughs> I've had a few, so I don't remember any of them, but there's a permanent record. I find, uh, one of my greatest, like my brain is never working harder or more effectively than when I've heard the first half of someone's pitch for their game. Hmm. Like when they get three words into it, my mind is like leaping ahead to what the next three words are going to be. And, uh, that's as powerful as it ever gets like it is coming up with like 20 different ideas like all at once because i'm i don't know why like i i feel like somebody in my brain wants to predict what they're going to say before they say it and then it does such a like it goes so overdrive doing that that by the time they said what they said a i haven't really listened and then b when i go back and check what they said it's like oh no i don't not interested in that i want interested in these seven <laughs> other ideas i came up with just now so somebody i was listening to i think this is on um it's a bit of a humble brag tom <laughs> <laughs> not gonna lie <laughs> I'm not saying they're better, I'm just saying the ones I'm more interested in. (laughs) um, So, uh, on the Video Games Hot Dog podcast, uh, I I think it was Zach was talking about um, 
he just mentioned a game called Cartomancer, or maybe it was even just a class in a game called Cartomancer. And immediately I was like, oh, like a, a kind of a magical class that works on maps. And so maybe you have to like chart the area and only the areas that you've accurately mapped are the ones where your magical powers will work. Or maybe by accurately mapping the land, that's what fuels your magical powers. And I've had like five different ideas for what the Cartomancer game is. And it turns out, no, it's not like, it has nothing to do with maps. It's just like, they just use the word cart in this particular kind of magical class and there's nothing to do with maps. And so, yeah, that like when I've heard the first half of the idea, that's when I'm yeah. like most ex- excited and inspired. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna propose something, and this might be so disastrous we have to cut it. <laughs> wow! But let's go clockwise. Three words each. See what game we get. I'm gonna start with you're a tree. So hang on. So we're doing an improv exercise. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a game's gonna come out at the other end of this. So your word is tree. No, uh, you're, you're a, a, tree. a tree. Three words each. Three words. You're a tree. Okay. Um. Oh God. Oh no. Oh no. My mind is going to be four words. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. You're a tree. Oh God. No. Okay, that's good. That's good. Though. <laughs> the reason I said that is because I literally went to my brain like, "Come on, brain, three syllables, go." And my brain went, "Despacito." I'm not f- <laughs> joking. <laughs> You're a tree, despacito. <laughs> Wait, is that it? That was... <laughs> Tom. <laughs> oh, God. I think, oh, oh, no, no is actually a good... <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> it's actually really good. Yeah. You're a tree, oh, no, no. How to sprint. <laughs> it's an RPG. <laughs> Oh, we're keeping going? No, that's it. Oh, God. Oh, that was terrifying. <laughs> I've got... I'm very sorry. Oh, God, I've spent several years of my life doing kind of quite formal improv training. That's the scariest, <laughs> scariest experience I've ever been in. Like, it was just, yeah, like, a terrifying encounter with what's there if my brain is suddenly completely, totally empty. <laughs> Thanks, wine. Um, good. Uh, so... We just there. There's your bad game pitch. There's a couple of game jams. Just <laughs> rack them up. Yeah, just take that. I, I'd love it. to. I'd love to see the output of the. Oh no no <laughs> game jam. You're three. Oh no no. <laughs> Off you go, folks. You got a weekend. You must sprint. Um, you, <laughs> I am a tree, and I must sprint. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, the final part of this question was: What other misheard game title mashups do you think would be great? I do like Red Dance Revolution. That's in this list, but it's good. Thing about XCOM is also like works with so much stuff. Yeah, and they increasingly get made. Yeah. Place. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. As in making something like XCOM. Yeah. I thought you meant the word XCOM fits itself into lots of pun formats because it also does. That's true as well. It's <laughs> yeah, very true. Mostly just sex bomb. <laughs> <laughs> fits very nicely. What? Oh God, XCOM. <laughs> What? Sex bomb. Like, oh, I see. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. The yeah, actually, that's really meta. Like, do the Scott Pilgrim <laughs> tactical action, like tactics game, yeah, and call it XCOM. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> so we'll make it. Next question comes from James, who writes, "Dear culture and highbrow." Well, ha, that's not relevant. Uh, I'm helping to organize a corporate staff event for a large mobile gaming company. Part of the brief is to create a number of sessions to inspire and engage game designers. I was wondering, in your experience of attending game developers' conferences, game jams, and gaming expos, what speakers, activities, or messages have really stuck with you? 
Also, what messages would you like to pass on to the new mega mobile gaming companies? Love you, James. Uh, sorry, I have to apologize for putting this question quite deep. Yeah, I was just about to say <laughs> that. Because it, it's actually a good, a sensible yeah. and, and sober question. And I'm neither of those things. <laughs> neither. Um, I found a GDC that often the best talks are uh, in the failure workshop where people uh, kind of come together <laughs> to talk about <laughs> projects that failed. So it just like, mm. you know, I had this idea. Here's why it didn't work. Yeah. And weirdly, that is inspiring. Like it's, it, it, you'd think it would be a bit of a downer, but actually it's like, you know, they always come out of it having learned a bunch of stuff and... Like often the people who made really good and successful things didn't learn anything from it. Or you don't really know if what they learned from it is, is like something that can be applied to future projects. Whereas when you fail at something, you kind of, you do know for sure that doesn't work. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and here's why we think it didn't work. And here's what we're going to try next. And yeah, failure is, is just a, a surprisingly fertile ground for like sharing ideas and getting inspiration. Hmm. That's, that's a good suggestion. Really glad Tom's here. Yeah. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. That would have gone so wrong otherwise. Um, so, speakers, activities, or messages? Hmm. I do, I really like the, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, like the game, game designers challenge or something at GDC where I don't think they do it anymore, but I used to read about it in, um, news stories where they just get like Peter Molyneux and Will Wright and someone else to all come up with a game idea from like just a one line pitch, um, kind of like a game jam theme. But they only have to come up with the idea. They don't actually have right, to go yeah. and make it. And um, those would always be, um, you know, wildly impractical, but just fun to read about. Mm. Those are really good suggestions. I don't have any good suggestions for this. <laughs> yeah, I same. feel like I haven't done enough events from the industry side necessarily. I've mostly covered them. So That's the thing. Like when you're covering it, like the stuff you're interested in is, oh, that's a cool AI trick that people don't realize is happening <laughs> yeah. in this. And then it becomes a story, but it's not a thing that's necessarily useful if you, you're a developer. Yeah. Yeah. Our final question comes from, so I'm going to sort of own something here. So, um, when we get sent questions, I tend to, uh, refer to people, the questioners by the name they provide at the end of rather than like maybe something that's mm. in an email header or something like that, because obviously we might get someone's real name from their email, but they might sign off with a handle, for example. And I always try and stick with whatever they see specify for themselves. Um, <clears throat> this questioner, um, signs off with bollocks off discord, <laughs> which in British English either means bollocks from discord or could mean bollocks. I'm off discord. <laughs> so I don't know. So I'm going to refer to this questioner as bollocks, <laughs> but I don't know if that is their name or a statement they made. <laughs> Uh, I do know the actual name because it was in the email, but I'm going to hedge my bets and just refer to this person as bollocks. That's <laughs> the rare situation where that's the safe option. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to call you bollocks just to be safe. <laughs> Which is, yeah. So either, either I'm doing this. So I feel like this is the situation where I need to apologize the least, <laughs> but nonetheless, there you go. Bollocks writes, dear frack and quake bar. Every time I play the opening mission of Destiny 2 Forsaken, I get more concerned with the lack of attention that the player is being called on. Uh, lack of attention paid to the fact that the player is being called on to massacre what feels like an entire prison population. I feel people will accuse me of overthinking things, but this void of moral comment by the writers colours how I perceive the rest of the setting, because it feels like they just don't care. 
I had over a hundred hours of great fun in Monster Hunter World till one day I just couldn't bring myself to club another innocent and cute rock-nomming Dodogama around the head when he's not even naturally aggressive. And why can't this game at least be called Monster Color instead of Monster Hunter? I was really enjoying the SWAT strategy game Door Kickers till I couldn't find any way to arrest, non-lethally subdue, or negotiate with subjects, suspects. And the only way to interact with levels is to literally kill everyone, more like a commando raid than police work. Basically, my question is, have moral implications slash complications ever spoiled otherwise great games for you? And is it acceptably adult to let these things get to me? Thanks for everything. Bollocks off Discord. It's <laughs> a really good question. <laughs> Bollocks off. It's a very good question. Yeah. It is a question that heavily pertains to the subject of ludonarrative <laughs> dissonance. Assassin's Creed is a weird one for this particular dilemma because, like, for me, if, if the game, if me taking out somebody just counts as them dead, no matter how I did it, I'm kind of okay with that. It's That's almost feels like an abstraction that the simulation is making. Um, but when the game does have a concept of, of dead versus just unconscious, which Assassin's Creed does, then I feel like I'm being asked to care about it. And in Assassin's Creed, yes, you can take out everyone non-lethally, but you have to like unequip your weapon to do it. And by doing that, you lose a load of bonuses that you might be otherwise relying on. And so it makes it super awkward if you actually want to do that. As you a- can keep your weapon, hit everyone a lot with your flaming axe and then just kick the last part of the health bar away. <laughs> Right, that works. Okay, so if you ki- if the kick is the finishing blow, then it counts as blow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. as in life. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I should try that. That is how I kicked that entire fortress full of people asleep, <laughs> <laughs> so that I wouldn't upset uh, Heraclitus. What no, if you kick on. them into the sea? Do they die then? Uh, it depends. <laughs> it depends. A lot of the time, hmm. if you kick someone in the sea, they might swim back to shore and come back up and fight you again. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes, sharks, if if you're in if you're in a boat combat, they will stay in the sea and die to sharks. Yes. If you kick them in the sea, sometimes from land, they just stay there forever, <laughs> shouting at you. Hi. <laughs> <In the> sea. <laughs> Not happy about this. <laughs> um. Uh. Yes, sorry, I should have stressed, it, not for Heraclitus, for Hippocrates. The reason I had to kick all those Athenians asleep was because the father of modern medicine did not want me to hurt anybody. Um, Fair enough. Dear. That is the Hippocratic Oath. I only kick people to unconsciousness. That's <laughs> pretty much what they used to do in the first so early days of medicine. The wall. <laughs> There's so much good stuff like that. Like, um, kicking someone unconscious does not incur any kind of bounty. Mm. So if you need to do a, if you need to kill an entire camp full of people, under morally compromised in, in a kind of morally and you don't want to incur any bounty for doing that mm. kick them all asleep first then stab them all no one will ever suspect you. <laughs> <laughs> very good can you recruit them uh you can in fact you can also complete if you get one of the uh, daily missions to uh slay a particular mercenary which is usually accompanied by flavor text like this mercenary came into my village and burned all our crops slay them that we make no revenge you can recruit them, and this also counts. <laughs> so it's like, right, so kill them. Or, or offer them an excellent give them a job. good job. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I sort of, Assassin's Creed for me gets away with it, and I'm usually so sensitive to this kind of thing, because it's such transparent nonsense. <laughs> so stupid, yeah. so, um, it's, it's such yeah. a it's such a leap to go from like, you know, in previous games you can kill people, or you can knock them out, and then, like, there were games where you could have cohorts, but I don't think they've done the thing where you just like, 
every single person can be hired. Just anybody in the world. Just beat them up enough and then click a button and you've hired them. Well, it's like, it feels like, I feel like games establish the normal level of totality for the fictional universe in which they take place. And Assassin's Creed is always taking place in a very lethal universe. In fact, it kind of, despite being quite uh, sort of progressive, at least in terms of some things, like for a while, it's kind of about how like lethal force is justified in this universe in order to remove people who want to steal the bad golden time egg. <laughs> and that is the case where lethal force is justified. And you lean over, like the, the, the length to which Assassin's Creed 2 goes to kind of like frame and not celebrate, but sort of dramatize that lethal act. Like you, you leap from a, the ceiling and stab someone in the neck and you you are suddenly transported out of time into the animus yeah. itself where yeah. you speak to that person and you exchange some understanding in their dying moments. The Netsio says like resquia touch and patch it and like closes their eyes mm. and almost like ceremonial death. It's almost like they're being sacrificed to some greater good. They're like there's some sort of grand thing here. And then you contrast with Odyssey like years <laughs> later, which is like, I spooked your dog too much. It's on fire now. That man is running around burning. Mm. And it does ask you to like confirm certain kills, but that's mostly so that it has a way of registering the death and gives you boot them off a cliff, which you do all the time. And I, I think and to make, make sure, sure you, you get the loot. Yeah, to make sure you get the special message. pants they yeah. carry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then sometimes you just kick him off a fucking cliff and that's yeah. fine. But even uh, Origins had that out-of-time special mm. death for certain characters. Like, in fact, they were some of the best humans. ones because they were really like surreal, like pillars of obsidian was, coming out of you know, Yeah, and there was oceans. actually something really cool about it that... Um, that uh, that I appreciated where like there were certain characters um it, it was one another one of these things where I have you just fantasizing about another game that kind of went big on this but uh there's a character where like I killed them and then in their death sequence which is this out of time conversation with them that doesn't make any sense because you're basically already killed them at this point um but in this kind of fantasy little moment you have with them uh they are just fucking terrified <laughs> because they have a very clear picture of what the afterlife is. <laughs> it's eternal torment. Right. And so like this idea of like all these different people from different cults, you know, having their own sense of what the, the afterworld is and like killing each one would have a different status depending on what, what world are they going to when you kill them mm. is actually a really interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, uh, one of the things I really like about origins is that like, religion is is real like the things people believe in are yeah. actually like really real that they refer to all the times uh, all, all the time um as a kind of living reality for people who see that death is like a, a continuum of this multi-stage journey to an eventual point that is kind of safeguarded by certain you know gods and figures that are, are definitely there in the world and the game doesn't as far as i've played it refute that it actually reinforces it. Yeah. So it's actually, this is a world of, you know, gods and people dying and passing into their, into their domains, which mm. is rad. Yeah. I was thinking that like, um, I think in terms of the question, which was sort of games where the moral implications of what you're doing has, have ruined it. Mm. Like, um, GTA five is definitely one of them for me. Mm. And that's because again, I think that exists at such an awkward point in rockstar's transition from open parody to mm. filmmaking that, everyone in it is totally reprehensible. Like, whereas GTA 4, for some reason, was just on the right side of that for me, to be palatable. Yeah. Like, the fact that you accidentally run over loads of people and sort of get into bizarre fights in the street and there's loads of collateral damage, the lack of consequences for that feels super artificial, but it's rendered distasteful by the context of the rest of the game, if that makes sense. Mm. It's like, I find it really unpleasant. Um 
for that reason. Whereas, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey remains the game where I walked too quickly into Pericles' house and I shoved Socrates into some shelves <laughs> and he went like, oh, but he was fine. <laughs> I, I don't think I've talked to a single person in Odyssey that I haven't rudely shoved right before. <laughs> like I'm always sprinting up to them and I just kind of hit them in the shoulder. Like, you know, Cassandra extends her arms to like purposefully do it and then they stagger and there's like a second and a half where I can talk to them and then they're like, oh yeah, I need your help. <laughs> <laughs> there's also, yeah, like there, there are children in the world in Odyssey, which a lot of open world games don't have, but mm. children don't think can take damage but like like you can literally like be barreling down a street full pelt on a horse and just scattering children either side <laughs> of you but you're definitely the hero <laughs> of this story um I, I do i do empathize with the bollocks here though <laughs> you know? i know you just wanted to say that but go on yeah yeah there's a serious point like um i found that as i've gotten older like violence visual like graphic violence affects me more to the extent that like i look back at my like 14 year old self and it's like you were a fucking psychopath. Like, it was just all yeah. just spectacular and, and the gorier the better. And there was no kind of sense of like, um, this could happen to a real person. What would that feel yeah. like? And a kind of empathy. Um, and that maybe that is a thing that you just sort of build up as you get older that makes, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, doing violent things in video games makes me more violent at all, but it bothers me more. Yeah. The older I get. Um, and I felt this stuff like Mortal Kombat, which I used to love it. It's obviously like revels in, revels in his, Revels, <laughs> tasty, <laughs> tasty <laughs> revels. Uh, revels in its gore and um, makes a big show of it. And it's obviously the fourteen-year-old me. I know would be entertained by it, but now I'm just like, Ugh. yeah, don't want yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, I, I definitely like. I think I feel greater empathy now for game characters, which is strange because you'd assume that I would go in less sensitive. <laughs> mm. And like, and 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 the the arms race of sort of technical achievement is not necessarily escalated much beyond where is that in fact i said this when we went for lunch the other day and i'm sorry for having said this but the same amount more time has passed between the release of half-life 2 and the present day than took place between the invention of the first person shooter and half-life 2 mm. which is kind of crazy when you think about it but like mm. you know that's and that that was a, a an epochal moment in kind of the believability of game characters at least for me mm. and not hang on tremendously more you know, detailed yeah, since then. Been really. a, a remarkable lack of progress in the single player first person shooter since Half Life Two. Yeah, and 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 yet, as I get older, I get more empathetic. And so, I you know, like, I appreciate I keep returning to it, but I guess it's the thing I'm playing most. But like, the reason that I am enjoying Assassin's Creed, but I'm a bit wary of starting Red Dead, is because everything Red Dead wants to do in terms of making me feel the the pain and consequence and inconvenience of this particular world, I don't want. <laughs> Whereas Assassin's Creed, where I stab people in a lot of comically grotesque ways, it's gaminess protects me from that. Mm. And I don't, cause I don't really like, I want to have the big high concept adventure now. I don't really want to be forced to confront the, the mean reality of someone's simulation of the old West where horses catch fire. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there's some sort of, uh, divide there that has settled in mm. where like I would rather my games just sort of well not challenge that stuff unless that's what they're about and then they really commit to it yeah yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna like make a big deal of killing then you have to offer a non-killing option 
Yeah. Like, it sucks to just be like, you have to kill these people, but also don't you feel so bad about killing those people? Mm. And weren't those such realistic people? And didn't you see the way that they died? Hmm. I yeah. Sort of yeah. The, the first time I really felt slightly uncomfortable about it was actually Hitman Blood Money and some of his executions and stuff. And that was like the first moment where it was like, oh, you know, it's particularly like with a knife where he just like sticks it right in the side of someone's neck and that is horrible. <laughs> it is really horrible. Um, but at the time, like, I hadn't never really thought that because like, uh, th- th- there's almost like a, a switch that flips where you can't almost feel it going into your own neck when you see it happen to an extent <laughs> that I found anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, increasingly. But uh, it doesn't happen for stuff that's like, just stupidly lurid and just like over the top like i just Mm. i just see that as being oh that's just dumb pop culture death but for stuff like um the last of us um is the last of us no did the um uncharted uh yeah this is from the uncharted devs it is the last of us isn't it it's the the um sort of post-apocalypse survival game all of the kind of executions and the way people die in that just really really like feel I think it's also because that game, like, is all about, like, a really specific human relationship. Mm. And when you're fighting, like, plant zombies, that's one thing. Yeah. When you're slaying other people, like, it's like the more emphasis, the more believable the, the quote unquote good people are, Mm. the more believable everyone becomes. And that feels like a, a a, a tension that the games don't always navigate successfully. Mm. And Naughty Dog are just, like, incredibly talented at animation and mm. representing humans and in uncharted they do it uh the whole game is presented in a way that's kind of indiana jones and a little bit fun and yes you kill loads of people but you don't uh, i didn't find myself really bogged down by that when i was playing it sure whereas last of us the violence is incredibly like it, they're trying to make you feel it and mm. trying to make it realistic and trying to make you feel like these are people that you're killing and that yeah that can just get really grim and and not fun yeah, uh, perfectly. Like, um, their artists and stuff like they—they they do look at real-world reference for the the death animations, and I think there's something about that that definitely comes across. And now, like for the Last of Us Two, I'm not sure I will play it. Yeah, I, for so many ten years. Now, some ago, of the videos of that have, have just been about like you know, here's this person's arm being broken, and that, just, that's like, how it looks really. really yeah, mm. just spending minutes and minutes on horrible, horrible things happening to people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because like. There's, there's a degree to, yeah, cause that, that is worthy if that is what your game is about. But you have to, I think, if you're offering that offer other options, like, that for me is the frustration with the sort of simulationist, uh, ideal of something like Red Dead, where they want you to feel the consequences of all of your actions, but like, obviously by virtue of the plot and things, you're not allowed to like, just not do those things and start a farm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, non-lethal goes beyond how do I deal with my enemies all the way to what if I just didn't have enemies like what if Stardew Valley <laughs> exactly right that is incredibly all the questions we have to have <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast you can email us at questions at croat and croat and croat fucking hell <laughs> croat and crowbar.com questions it's all one email address it's croat and croat and croat and croat and croat and croat oh no no <laughs> or you can sprant us at <laughs> Creighton Crowbar. Uh, thanks as ever to our Patreon backers, um, who allow us to do this, which is a remarkable act, uh, in and of itself. Um, if you'd like to find out more about backing the podcast and its spinoffs, you can do so by visiting Patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. We are on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. 
And that's it for specific things, I think. Oh, no, Discord. That's the thing I always miss. We have a Discord channel. It's lovely. Um, you should go there. You can find the link on our website, createcrobo.com. You, lastly, you may find us in, as individuals on Twitter. I have definitely had too much white wine. <laughs> I am at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. I don't see yet. I'm at PCG Ludo. Uh, no, post very much. You might see the occasional dumbass screenshot. <laughs> and I, the other Tom, am at Pentadact. P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Thanks for listening, everybody.